And Seaman controlling it brilliantly and finding Kvaratelia. Kvitscher, Kvaratelia and still Kvaratelia! He's not just player of the month, he might well be player of the season. El Sharawi, Dybala! He is something else. Roma struggling. Roma digging a deep hole for themselves. And Dybala has pulled them out. Hello and welcome back to Say A Spotlight. This is Season 2, Episode 29. And we're your hosts, Jake. And Matt. And we've got ourselves a new favourite song. Con la palla sembra che danza tutto lo stadio Si alza i difensori, fai venire pure l'ansia Prende punto e poi risalta tutti quanti Se li mangia sotto il set e lui la palla te la piazza Salendo in canta, è il 29 Sulla maglia E Bulaie, via, è qua E il bomber di Granata che se lo incontri Sicuramente non ti lascia per i ricordi E Bulaie, via, è qua E il bomber di Granata che se lo incontri Sicuramente non ti lascia Bro, oh my god, you would think that the song would upset us considering he got the equalizer against our Milan Monday night, but it's it's too much of a bop and it actually makes me happy. Yeah, and Andia is so good, like he, we've been following him for so long now and it's a, it's a great thing that he's actually scoring. Um, granted, um, Monday night was quite... Quite terrible. Yeah. But the song is <laughs> it's a fun one. It's At really least we got one. the song out of it, man. It's worth yeah. the investment. I'd lose two points and gain the song in my it's life. True. And if any of you know who these two gentlemen are singing this song, yeah, please. please do let us know. <laughs> I would love <laughs> to find them. They're so talented. It's brilliant. It's so funny, dude. This yeah. is honestly the second best song to come out of the season. What's the first? You know that one, yeah, another banger. <laughs> and they say the English fans have such great songs, yeah. which they do, but don't undermine the Italian songs as well. Let's jump to our goals of the week. As you heard from our intro, we had two again this week. I do think that Guevara's against Atalanta does take the cake for its yeah. unique nature, but Dybala's first time strike from distance outside the area into the top corner, curling attempt, you know, the, the classic goal, Roma needed a goal, and Dybala got them a goal, classic. Yeah, what a goal it was, man, but Gvartskelias is a goal, a goal for the ages, no? Yeah. Like, that was the type of goal, like, he had eight defenders charging towards him, eight Atalanta men, big men, you know, and he just drops a shoulder left, he drops a shoulder right, you know, players mm. are like tripping over their own feet. You see one of the defenders flying in midair like yeah. before he drops his shoulders another two times. Like, yeah. Then he just smashes into the top corner. What a goal. Bro, he, he is among the best players in the world at the yeah. moment. He is up there with some of the best. He has... 26 goal contributions this season. Osiman has 25. He's a left winger. He's 22 years old, new to the biggest stage. And wow, he's a revelation. I remember Mintoff taking the piss out of me because on episode five or something, I said, this guy's one of the best players in the world. I stand by it, man. He's a monster. Yeah, no, no, he, he really is. And um, when you look at the future of football right now, you've got Mbappe and Haaland. Yeah. They might have a new face to join. Absolutely. Gvaratskelia. Let's not forget Vinicius Jr. because he's up there, of course. But Gvaratskelia, man. And and the cool thing about him is he has that kind of George Best scruffy. 100%. Scruffy, like messy beard, messy hair vibe. Yeah. Yeah. 
pure adrenaline. That's all. No, he doesn't give a fuck about anything material. Just scoring goals. Like. No, and I feel like he's literally that just obsessed with the game. Yeah. I feel like it's all he cares about. He doesn't have a side rapping career or anything yeah. of the sort, <laughs> which is always important. It it shows that football is his main focus, and he's just his natural talent is unbelievable, and his work ethic as well on the pitch. He's non-stop. He really has got five lungs yeah. in him, the guy, because he just simply doesn't stop. Serie A spotlight slips. Our betting segment was going so well. We bet that there'd be over one goal in Cremonese, Fiorentina, and Roma Sassuolo, and that went swimmingly because there were plenty of goals in both of those games yeah. and then we also bet there would be under four goals in Juve Sampdoria little did we know that this game would be such a shootout my god six goals and a 4-2 victory for Juventus and we were about to cash out in the 30th minute because Juve were up to one already and we're like ah, there, there's 60 minutes of play left there's obviously going to be more goals 31st Sampdoria get the equaliser yes sir so no chance to actually have that discussion over there and we were out and out, down and out. That's the expression. Yeah, down, down and out. Well yes, done. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we found ourselves a little formula. Sometimes it's going to work. Sometimes it's not. We learn and we move on. I'm confident that we're going to turn things around. The problem is we put fucking 10 euro because we got yeah, overconfident. Got um, never get cocky, guys. No. So if you're wondering what we're talking about, follow us at, say, a Spotlight on Instagram. You can keep, you can stay up to date with our bets. Um, we post everything over there, including some snippets and a bit more content. Um, you can follow us on TikTok and Twitter and YouTube as well. And please drop a five-star review wherever you're listening. Yes, please. So I'll take you through the rundown of match day 26, guys. It seemed like absolutely none of the top teams, apart from Napoli, won top four at all, as every single one of them <laughs> dropped points this match day. There were a lot of upsets. There were a lot of away victories. There were a lot of great goals. So here we go. We're going to start things off with Atalanta nil, Napoli 2, where Kvaratskhelia scored that absolutely monstrous goal, turning in and out and in and out before slamming it into to the roof of the net. Spezia hosted Inter and got away with a 2-1 victory after a fantastic display by Inzola and a bunch of attempts by Inter, around 28 shots over there. Milan won, Salernitana won. It's always a nightmare for Milan when they play on a Monday night and it was no different over here as Buladia got the equaliser. Roma 3, Sassuolo 4 in what was definitely the most end-to-end -end match this match day. Um, Kumbulla throwing away the match for Roma over there, getting sent off and giving away a penalty, giving Sassuolo the 3-1 lead going into halftime. Juve 4, Sampdoria 2, the game that absolutely fucked our bet. Bologna 0, Lazio 0. Let me tell you what, I think Bologna might have um, deserved 3 points in that match. Cremonese 0, Fiorentina 2, no surprises there Fiorentina on hot form at the moment Lecce nil Torino 2 it seems like forever ago that Lecce last scored a goal and forever ago since Torino have dropped points I believe the last time was against Monza Empoli nil Udinese 1 same goes for Empoli over there and Verona 1 Monza 1 a great match day man very very entertaining um, when you look at the top seven and you see how they performed you're absolutely right it's like no one wants it man you look at Napoli they won you look at Juve they won sure um, they might actually get their ban lifted by the way against all odds because a few of the individuals in that case have um, actually won their appeal so let's keep our eyes peeled because Juve might be coming back into the top four and to yeah. be honest at this rate even without the appeal being lifted they might be back <laughs> in the top four <laughs> 
<laughs> to be honest, I think they'll break into the Champions League, no matter no matter what the situation is. I think if any of the other teams want top four, they better aim for third because yeah. I feel like Juve's ban is going to be lifted. Like, you know, the people involved were all cleared of their charges, including Paratici, um, Agnelli, Agnelli and, and all these seemed to be in, incredibly guilty. It'd just be super weird if they get docked 15 points halfway through the season with the board definitely knowing what a damper that's going to have on their um, morale throughout the campaign and then to just lift it because Juve could fucking sue of course, in that no. case. Yeah, um, the legal side of it, um, I'm not too familiar with. Um, and I have no shame in saying it, to be honest. We're football <laughs> fans at the end of the day. <laughs> um, but yes, um, I'm sure that they will not let this go unpunished if the, if the ban is lifted. Let's just say that. Yeah. But other than that, you know, you see Napoli winning and Juve winning. Then you see Inter lose. Lazio draw, Milan draw, Roma lose as well, Atalanta lose as well. Like it's true, bro. It's a highly competitive league. Huh? Absolutely, absolutely. And man, if if Napoli weren't in the picture this year, it would be one hell of a race to the title. But you know, everyone else's kind of poor performances is, is part and parcel with why Napoli are currently 18 points ahead of Inter. Damn. And that's a good segue, I think, into our first game. Napoli yes, 2, Atalanta nil. The first, the reverse fixture was a 2-1 victory for Napoli. Nowadays, bro, Napoli matches feel like all-star exhibition matches. Yeah, literally. <laughs> um, you've got Ozzy Men attempting bicycle kicks, Gvart Skelia dropping his shoulder left and right. You have Kim Jae-min overpowering everyone and just winning every header. It feels it feels like an all-star exhibition match. Absolutely. They're, I mean, man. Every single one of their players just seems to be the best in their position in the league this That's season. True. You look at Min Jae Kim, best centre-back in the league. You look at Lobotka, best regista in the league. You look at Gvara, best left-winger in the league. You look at Zielinski, probably one of the best track artists in the league as well. And obviously, Osimhen, the best striker in the league. So, no competition, like you said. It's like watching the Serie A 11. Yeah, <laughs> true. For Napoli, it was their 4-3-3 formation with Gollini and goal this time, Oliveira on the left and Di Lorenzo on the right with a centre-back pairing of Kim Jae-min and Rahmani. The midfield three were Zielinski, Lobotka and Anguissa. Out on the left there was Gvaratskelia on the right, Politano and up front Victor Ozyman. For Atalanta it was their 3-4-1-2 formation with Juan Musso in goal. Centre-back three of Toloi, Jim City and Scalvini with Mele out on the right, Ruggeri on the left. The midfield double pivot of Derun and Ederson with Pasalic sitting in the hole between midfield and attack. Hoyland and Zapata were the striking pairing up front. Now it took to the 60th minute for Napoli to open the scoring um, as Gvaratskelia, who is no longer a revelation but a guarantee. He did it again. The young Georgian produced an absolute renaissance painting of a goal as he shimmied from left to right as Atalanta defenders, about eight of them, tripped up and flew around the corner as he rocketed into the top corner. Yeah. Bro, as we discussed earlier, crazy goal. And you know he's the real deal because no one should be able to pronounce his name so well and everyone seems to like pronounce it perfectly even your average yeah. football fan your average Premier League or La Liga fan they'll go ah Gvaratskelia yeah I know yeah. like what did you, how, how did you just pronounce that I remember in, in the episode of the transfer market that we did in, yeah. the, in the build up to this episode to season two and um, 
which that we're just gonna call him Guevara. That doesn't matter. We're just gonna yeah. call him Guevara. No, man. We are calling him Kvicha Gvaratskelia. That's it. That's it, dude. We all know his name. They say my name. <laughs> In the 77th minute, Elmas gave an outswinging corner that came perfectly to Rahmani as he jumped and attempted a beautiful looping header. It went right over the goalkeeper and into the back of the net. Now, this was a great goal by one of Juric's best pieces at Hellas Verona in that team of 2019. He hardly ever puts a foot wrong nowadays, bro. And um, he's, I think, the most underrated player on this Napoli team. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even if you look at last season, everyone was talking about Koulibaly. This season, everyone's talking about Kim and Jay Th- think of the um, oh, what's the word the consistent who was the consistent player next to those guys the consistent player was Rahmani yeah. he was there last season he was there this season he just makes everyone next to him look so good because he's so good man he really is he really is honestly he doesn't put a foot wrong man but yes bro Napoli um, it's getting a little bit repetitive isn't it <laughs> Just, it's a joy to watch them but then when it comes to talking about them like what else is there to say you look at the expected goals of Atalanta for example they had 0.28 they had 6 shots with only 3 of them on target and never actually looked like they were going to score they had one no. shot with Ruggeri out on the left but it was quite central as well yeah um, Gollini didn't actually have to deal with much yeah, because when um, you try stop Napoli, you put so much effort into trying to stop them and so much effort into trying to contain them that you're compromised yeah. because that's all you're focusing on. You think, okay, if I do this, then Kvicha is going to get it and he's going to score. If I do this, Osiman's going to get it. He's going to score. If I lose the ball anywhere, Napoli are a threat because every single time they get on the ball, it looks like they're going to score, whether it's on the right, whether it's from the left, whether it's from defense to attack down the middle. Any position, they just look super, super convincing. They're incredibly direct. When they want to play the ball around, they can play the ball around. They're just an unbelievable watch. An unbelievable watch. And we're watching them right now playing um, against Frankfurt in the second leg of the Champions League. And I think it's going to be a fiery one following the footage that we saw. Crazy footage in Naples as Frankfurt fans um, had their ban lifted and actually showed up to the game. Um, They were roaming the streets of Naples in a pack with flares and they were just causing so many disturbances in the street. The footage is quite, quite... Freaky, to be honest. Yeah, it is, it is. Yeah. Um, Another game against the top seven side where Atalanta barely got a sniff, bro. Um, Are they excused for this one? (laughs) I guess they are. But but then you look at what Lazio were capable capable of doing last week and and getting a victory against Mm. Napoli. And you think, you know, that it's possible. It's absolutely possible because Lazio managed to do it. But then you look at Lazio who have had a great time against the top teams this this season. And then you look at Atalanta that are on the other end of the spectrum and they can't get points against the bigger yeah. teams. I can't remember them getting points against one of the top seven teams this season. I literally don't think they have gotten a victory this season yeah, against honestly, all the top honestly. seven teams. Um, to think that this was the team that Gianluigi Buffon said that would go on to win the league. This season, right? Yeah. He did say that earlier on the season, you're right. Yeah, and I said he's on drugs and everyone on TikTok was commenting, that's actually a very possible thing to happen, so fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, um, it seems like to be the Napoli, you have to press to perfection, no? And we on, we've only seen Inter and Lazio do that against them, where they press them all game for 90 minutes. They press the full backs, they press the centre backs, they barely left any holes. They they closed out Kvaratskhelia, and that was it. Basically, isolated Victor Osimhen up front and actually beat him in a two v one. That was uh, that seems to be the best way to approach the Napoli side. Atalanta. Yeah. They sat back. They they didn't even attempt to counter, though. Um, in fact, and then they tried to do their thing, where they gather men round the box and kind of play in Napoli's quarter of the pitch, like yeah. Atalanta do. You know, you know that. Yeah. Um, but in fact, Napoli ended up counterattacking and looked actually very dangerous when that happened. So Atalanta, I think didn't actually go into this one very well. No, and I think they would have been happy to take away a point naturally, like anyone else would be happy to get a point against Napoli. I really don't think that they went into that game expecting to win. You you see they brought on Duvan Zapata in this game to give some physicality up against Napoli's tough defence. Um, you see that they opted to play players like Pasalic in the middle mm. in, in order to to add some creativity down the middle and some smoother transitions. But you could... Try all you want against the Napoli side. You know, on on their day, they beat absolutely anyone. They beat most teams in the world. And I just want to give a shout out to Luciano Spalletti. I know we highlighted him a couple of weeks ago, but to think that in two seasons, this is what he's managed to do with the Napoli side, because two seasons is all it took. Last year was last year. Um, it was his first season at Napoli. And now his second season at Napoli is 18 points ahead with fucking 12 matches to go, man. 13 matches to go. Yeah, he can play whoever he wants to play till the end of the season and focus everything solely on the Champions League. The question now is um, how to find the perfect balance, right? Between resting players and between keeping players um, in top condition, right? Mm. Let's say you've got a Champions League game against, I don't know, Real Madrid, for example. Mm. Do you play Gvaratskhelia that weekend? Do you give him a few minutes? Do you rest him completely? How do you go about it? I mean, they've got so much squad depth as well. because And then they've got Politano, they've got Elmas. They've got so many people that they can bring on that that genuinely wouldn't be... But for Gvaratskhelia's sake, like for him to be in top condition, would he need to play in a match earlier? You know what I mean? Like, like that week, let's say, for example, you're playing... Bologna on mm. Saturday and Real Madrid on Tuesday. No, you're 18 points ahead. Rest yeah. him. Rest him. Just you're don't bother featuring. 18 points him, right? ahead, man. Yeah. yeah. The fuck. Bring exactly. on. As long as he's training, it's fine. Bring on Elmas. Bring on Raspadori on yeah. the wing. Play play Politano as, as a wide left winger. It doesn't matter. You could even give Gollini a turn up front. <laughs> See how he does. <laughs> At this point, honestly, it's 18 points clear. It's a joke. Now, um, two things I want to highlight, two quotes. Um, Lobotka, we don't have any pressure in the Champions League. There are no expectations. Um, and that is an advantage for them. We discussed this recently. We said how um, Real Madrid fans, Bayern Munich fans, City fans, they're all going into the Champions League expecting their team to actually do something. Yeah. While Napoli fans are just happy to be there. You know what I mean? The first time ever in a quarterfinal of mm. the Champions League. Um, so they, they really are playing without expectations and they know it. Yeah, and and I think um, so. There are no expectations. Obviously, I I believe that there's been some talk in the camp, and some journalists have been speaking. So I wouldn't say they have 
zero pressure. I think they know that if they do this, it's an absolute uh, a fairy tale story. Mm-hmm. And I think they're dying to have that fairy tale story. Now, what people are also kind of failing to realize is that this isn't the only season where Napoli are going to play this well. Yeah. At this rate, if they manage to hold on to Gvara and Osimen, even if they don't, I, I mean, you see how well the other players perform. Obviously, the, those two players are the key attacking threats that they have. But brother, they're going to be very good next year and they're going to be good in the Champions League next year. They're going to be good in the league next year. It's not like after 2022, oh, thank God, okay, that's over. Next mm. one's going to be much easier. They're still going to be there. Well, sure, but it also does depend on if they manage to keep their top players in the pre-match conference between um, Spalletti and the media um, before Napoli Frankfurt. They asked him about his contract situation. Um, he commented that he does not wish to discuss his contract because the people of Napoli want him to focus on the football, which is fair enough. Mm-hmm. Politically correct reply, safe reply. Um, but he didn't say I'm staying, you know, and yeah. that's the same thing with Ozyman. Ozyman, it's his dream to play in the Premier League, you know, ever since he was a kid. Gvaratskelia supported Real Madrid as a kid. It's his dream to play for them. What's this, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. Um, if they do cash in on these guys, um, I'm curious to see what De Laurentiis can do with the money because with a very limited budget last season, he managed to create a very strong team. You know, he brought in the players he brought in for cheap, Kvaratskhelia and Lobotka have ended up being key pieces and yeah. even Kim Jamin. And not only key pieces, but the best in their positions, as you said so well yeah. earlier. For, for sure, man. Think, think of the box office movie he can come up with with all those hundreds of millions yeah, that, <laughs> that he'll get from there those players. Go. Bella Stronza, volume three. <laughs> That's a song <laughs> it's a movie now bro 200 million you can do what you want <laughs> that's true I mean he does he is a businessman yeah. and if he sees that he, he could make 130 million profit of Kvicha Gvaratskelia then my guess is that he'll do it yeah. it doesn't matter how much pressure the fans put on him um, yeah unfortunately I don't think they'll be able to hang on to these two for very long and I just can you imagine if Guevara leaves in the summer and he goes to another team and in his first season they win the league as well they yeah. have gone to Napoli in one season won the league with them moved on won another league elsewhere for example with Real Madrid yeah that would be that would be pretty good for he him he can win the Ballon d'Or that's that's this, that's, this, that's is, this crazy. is crazy it's true. this is crazy he can win the Ballon d'Or because if Napoli make it to the final of the Champions League for example and Napoli win the league he can why can't he yeah, win the Ballon he's got, d'Or he's got a fair shout to it definitely absolutely um, especially if they go far in the Champions League and that would be the deciding factor yeah he's already nominated yeah we could say that Spalletti has said that Kim is the best centre back in the world now I'm not sure which one he's talking about because there are quite a few on the Korean national team <laughs> <laughs> no, um, the best centre back in the world perhaps not that much of a stretch not that I mean not that much of a stretch for sure but Napoli are very dominant, so we haven't seen him tested so much. Then again, we don't see the best defenders, pardon me, being tested so much because they're normally on dominant teams. Um, think about Van Dijk that season w- with with Liverpool, where they won the Champions League or they won the pr- when they won the Premier League. I don't know. Um, he was barely tested naturally because he was at Liverpool and he was a dominant team, and the best players are at the best teams. But 
Absolutely not a stretch. He's definitely in the conversation. I'd say he's top five center backs yeah. in the world right now. Yeah, top five is probably more realistic. Yeah. Um, to be fair, I, I hardly ever see him lose a one-on-one situation. No, no he comes out on top in most aerial duels and ground duels as well. You look yeah. at the statistics; they're quite they're quite impressive. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's basically it. Um, excuse a little spasm I had. I don't know if you heard it. Um, Napoli are currently in first with 68 points, while Atalanta have fallen to sixth with 42 points. They're on a four-match unbeaten. Sorry, on a four-match winless run. My God, very different. Those two phrases you're gonna say. Yeah, very very different. Huh? The next game we're gonna be covering is the biggest upset in this match. It was Spezia two. Inter won to think that the previous encounter was a 3-0 victory for Inter. So Milan Skriniar, Joaquin Correa were still injured with Federico De Marco not fully fit as well. But Brozovic and Samir Handanovic got rare starts. Reka and Giselle goalkeeper Marchetti sat out bands with Simone Bastoni, Emil Holm, João Moutinho sidelined in a switch to 3-5-2, hoping for their first home win since September. 2022 Oof. and that they got my friends as i said special on a 352 formation with drangovski in goal and a back three of nicolao caldara and ampadu they had giassi out on the left and amian out on the right with a midfield three of agudelo burabia and zurkovski they had shumorodov alongside Enzola up front for Inter, it was also a 3-5-2 formation with Handanovic in goal and the back three of D'Ambrosio, Acerbi and Bastoni. They had Darmian out on the right, Gossens out on the left and a midfield three of Barella, Brozovic and Mkhitaryan. And they had Lautaro Martinez alongside Lukaku up front. Very interesting to see just Handanovic randomly in the yeah. starting 11 this match they're replacing yeah. Onana we'll, um, we'll get into it but but it's a very... Inzaghi said that he was resting Onana. Yeah, ooh, okay. Resting him. Resting him. Yeah. Good choice, huh? Yeah, really Resting good. Onana. Uh, you your... rest, <laughs> Lautaro Martinez. You, <laughs> you know don't what rest I mean? anyone when you're playing away from home and the only team you managed to beat away from home was Cremonese this but season. But you're, go- you're resting your goalkeeper. Like, like why doesn't... It, he, he might as well rest himself from being yeah. on the sideline. Well, whatever. Um... So in the 8th minute, the referee deemed Caldara's challenge inside the area on D'Ambrosio a fair one. However, he then reverted to VAR and saw that he had caught D'Ambrosio with a dangerous high studs challenge. A penalty and a yellow card were awarded. Drangovski pulled off a great save to deny Inter's top scorer from the spot, with Lautaro now failing 5 out of 16 attempts from the spot for Inter. Another interesting choice over there to see Lautaro stepping up to take that with Lukaku on the pitch, who has 13 out of 13 penalties scored yeah. for Inter. That was definitely questionable. I'm telling you, sometimes I think they're not they're not familiar with the table. Uh, it, 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 That's what it feels like. <laughs> look, I'm, I'm going to save this conversation for the talking points because I feel like I want to go through quite, quite a bit about some calls that Simone made in this match. Go for it, go for it. The momentum was then in Spezia's favour as Agudelo's, Agudelo's attempt in the 32nd minute bounced off the crossbar after Archerby's block. Moments later, Drangovski once again denied Lautaro Martinez with a brilliant save during an Inter counter-attack. Lautaro then thought he got the equaliser just after the breakthrough a header, but Lukaku was in an offside position. In the 54th minute, there was a long ball by Drangovski to Winzola, who held up two Inter defenders before playing the, playing the ball to the one 
the only Daniel Maldini, who finished perfectly into the bottom corner just nine minutes after the Milan Loney came on. He's now tied for goals against Inter with his father, one goal each, the great, obviously, Paolo Maldini. In the 83rd minute, Lukaku scored a penalty as Inter equalized, making it 1-1. It was a great penalty by the Belgian. Power, precision, and he sent Rangowski the wrong way. Lautaro, take notes. The penalty was given away by substitute Salva Ferrer, who kicked Dumfries in the stomach when attempting a clearance. It really seemed like Spezia just wanted to fuck it as well. It's it's not like Spezia were so great. They gave away two very, very clumsy penalties over there. They they did. Um and you look at their their defenders as well. They had Nicolau and Caldara both on a yellow card towards the end yeah. of the game. Um quite quite reckless, are they? But yeah. to be fair, when you have a team that shoots twenty-eight times against you, you're bound to of course. put your body on the line, maybe get the man first. They gave away two penalties, and probably that first penalty is what gave them the spirit and drive to actually go ahead and win the game. Um, when Absolutely. you have a player and goal like Dragovsky man, who's such a such a good penalty saver, man. He's a penalty specialist, honestly. Absolutely, man. Um, between the sticks. And he, he fired his team up there. He was, uh, he was great. For sure, man. And then, in the 86th minute, a penalty was awarded to Spezia. The guy that won it earlier, Dumfries, now gave it away as he charged Kovalenko from behind very, very clumsily in the 86th minute. Handanovic guessed right, but the ball was a fingertip too high for him as Inzola wheeled away in celebration. So let's, before getting into Spezia and how they managed to get the victory, I do want to talk a bit about Inter. So the fact that they had 28 shots, seven on target, um, they had two penalties, one that was saved, you could go on to say this just wasn't Inter's day. They did all they could and they didn't manage to get away with a victory or or a single point. They did do everything they could, but I feel like they were compromised because of one man. And I think that one man is Inzaghi. And I've held back from criticizing Inzaghi because his brand of football and the, the football that he plays, his identity is so attractive and he has gotten Inter ticking. Um, However, I feel he's a little bit spineless because of two things. Number one, the fact that he hasn't gone up to the squad and said, look, when Lukaku is on the pitch, Lukaku takes the penalties. If Lukaku is not on the pitch and Chalanoglu is on the pitch, Chalanoglu takes the penalties. If none of these guys are on the pitch, Lautaro Martinez then steps up. He, it seems like Inter in general want Lautaro to be this talisman. They want him to be a Chiro Mobile. They want him to be an Ossiman. They want him to be a Vlaovic. He's not. Yeah. What I mean, he Ossiman is, doesn't even take penalties. <laughs> exactly. Like that season where Zlatan was Milan's top yeah, scorer yeah. and he just stepped down from penalties because he himself said he was shit at them. What Lautaro is, is a perfect striker in a two up front. He's a perfect striker in a Conte system. He's a perfect striker in an Enzaghi system. And that's how he's utilized. He's good at reading the movement of the striker alongside him. He's good at creating space for the striker alongside him. And he is typically a clinical finisher. But they are trying to make him this fucking superstar up front. They're trying to make him seem like he's the solution, like he's bigger than the club. And he's simply not, man. Hmm. Um, that is an interesting point, and I often wonder why 
the hell you would make some why you wouldn't just go for the player with the best penalty conversion rate to take your penalties in a game it, it's it's a simple thing no yeah it's it's very simple like you look at Lukaku if he if he scored 13 out of 13 well 12 out of 12 at the time um you put him on the penalty no for sure I mean it's it's common sense no it's no debate yeah why like it's not like he was going through a gold drought he's on fine exactly form. exactly why screw it up yeah I think Inzaghi leaves it to the players to decide um, that's between dumb. them, yeah, it is dumb. It is dumb, but at the same time, maybe he thinks that it's better for the group, right? Everyone has their own coaching style. Yeah, everyone's got their own coaching style, and I don't think Inzaghi is is a great man motivator. I, I don't think I don't think he should be leaving the calls up to the player. I, I think he should have a tangible solution for that situation. Mm-hmm. Our penalty taker is the one that simply doesn't miss a single penalty. Yeah. It's a, number two, number two. Handanovic starting in goal. Mm-hmm. Now, Inter are one of the teams that uh, that are blessed with two very good goalkeepers, right? Questionable, obviously, how good Handanovic still is. Yeah. Um, but here's the deal. I get that sometimes you're going to play Handanovic. You're going to call up your, your, your second goalkeeper, maybe in the Cup, maybe in the Champions League. But with Inter's away form, number one, okay? With Inter's compromised back three with D'Ambrosio starting. And with Inter needing a win in the race for top four. It was a terrible, terrible decision to start Handanovic in this game. Because they lack confidence in him. Because he's not great off his line. And then he's very static on his line as well. He doesn't command the back line. It's like starting Tatarusano to a certain extent. He's mm. obviously better than Tatarusano, But... The goalkeeper affects the performance of the defenders. Your mm. defenders are compromised already because of Skriniar's injury. You're away from home where you're fucking shit. And you decide to play Handanovic. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense. Play your best goalkeeper, especially away from home where you've been terrible all yeah. season. Why would he play him? Yeah, I think it's simply rotation, right? To keep everyone happy. That's it. To try to keep maintain positive vibes in the dressing room. I'm pretty sure that's the the main reason why to keep him happy. Um, you have Handanovic, former captain, former key player for Inter. And probably this is him kind of paying his respect to him, saying, listen, we've got a new goalkeeper in, but um, you're still involved. You're still part of the team. Um, yeah, when it comes to his leadership skills out there and his ability to control the defense, Handanovic, I would say that's one of his stronger suits. Fair enough. But, I jumped the gun uh, there. When it comes to literally his work, work on the line and in the air he doesn't move much yeah he's a he's a tree yeah no yeah but but yeah Simone Nzagi went so far to blame himself right <laughs> not not for the right reasons he seemed to blame himself for the wrong reasons or maybe he was being a bit vague he didn't want to get into it what he said is in football you get no discounts and we paid for those errors it's not right that Inter lose to Spezia we won't sleep tonight I take responsibility for the defeat but the lads gave it their all tonight we just weren't clinical enough. This is football. Defeats make you stronger. We had a few too many this season, especially away from home. And naturally, the result is unsatisfactory. Well done, bro. Yeah, Ooh, I mean, you know, you know, that's a standard post upset interview. No? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's but he is he is right that, well, essentially that he is to blame and that his players yeah. gave it 
they're all, you know, they didn't have their shooting boots on and Drangovski was on fine form and, and Spezia are a fucking annoying team to play against. Yeah, bro. So he's not wrong about that. For me, bro, I don't know, honestly, what the hell Inzala has become. Oh, man. It's it's fucked up how good he's become. My God. Um, I, I remember him two seasons ago. He went on a little scoring run. He scored in like six... Six games, six goals in like a couple of mm. games. And, and at the start of yeah, the season. Yeah, at the start. Um, right, before, right before January. Exactly, the January market. And then he didn't score again. <laughs> but he didn't look as sharp as he does nowadays. Now he's 26 years old. You look at his build, he's big, but he's very lean. There was a moment when I don't know who was, who was lifting his shirt. Like someone, someone was like charging, they were dueling in a 50-50 and he grabbed his shirt and it pulled up like, honestly, nobody fat. You, you could you could use his abs to like slice your guanchal. Yeah. <laughs> guanchal is very tough to fucking slice, man. Yeah, you could just slice them on his stomach. But honestly, his hold up play was incredible. The way he was just holding it up, just shrugging defenders off. Knocking the ball slightly forward and just going to collect it. He was a one-man and, unit. And he front. was isolated. Yes, completely, completely isolated. <laughs> Fighting off three inter-defenders. Yeah. Like. Waiting like an entire minute for his teammates to catch up to him. And he still has the ball. That was a very good performance by Inzola. Bro, if, if Spezia gets relegated... I I see him. I've been I've been telling you that I just get this feeling that Atalanta are gonna offer uh -huh. Duvan Zapata for him because he is like a prime Duvan Zapata. Yeah. <laughs> you know they they have no use for Zapata this season. Whereas I was also thinking he's not a bad shout for Inter, bro. They like a good physical striker. Um, it is it has been said now that Lukaku is gonna be returning to Chelsea, yeah. especially because Inter don't afford him. I think it's a no-brainer. It is, especially when you look at the financial situation of Inter. It'd be a decent solution for them. Absolutely. It's still a risk at the end of the day because it isn't a player who's been doing it for a, for a long time, mm. but it might also be um, a fantastic investment as well. 26 yeah. years old and that's your play style. You're good for another five years. Yeah. Six years for sure. And you could, you could pay him like four million a season way less you probably you could pay him way less yeah, yeah, yeah. you know but the you know the fact that i i really anticipate that there'll be mm. a bit of a fight for him at the top i think um atalanta would be interested i think inter would be interested and i wouldn't be surprised if milan have something to say about that considering their striking situation as well yeah um for me the spezia team showed up it was their their spine of dragovsky and goal of course he was the leader mm. the real driving force behind this victory in my opinion um and on the other end of course um, in Zola who they at the fucking bottom and at the top of that team sheet led this team to victory but then I'd also give a shout out to Ampadu who again fantastic performance yeah he barely makes any mistakes and in the middle Kevin Agudelo was amazing this game Kevin Agudelo was very good as well um, you mentioned Drangovski just to make it clear Inter had 4.04 in XG expected goals <laughs> and you know they didn't because Drangovski was in goal and well Lautaro was up front as well to be completely fair just one more point before we move on there's so many talking points in this yeah. game if I come just blabbing on now um, Maldini oh yes we should be talking about that more to be honest Maldini fucking so he, he's got three professional goals right his first yeah. one came against his current team Spezia for Milan and a header last season um, the winner, I believe in that match as well, he then went out on loan for Spezia and he scored against his parent club, Milan. And Milan were like, ah, like how could, how could that happen? You know what I mean? It, it hurts so much. 
And he's like, don't worry, guys. <laughs> he goes he goes against Inter at home for Spezia and he scores the opener over there. Daniel Maldini, bro, a revelation, no? There is there's something about him, right? I mean, he's 21 years old and for, for a 21-year-old, when you watch him on the ball, it's nothing groundbreaking. It's not, mm. it's not a hot talent that's a freak of nature, no. you know what I mean? But he's got this this fire in him this he's just built for big moments like you you look at that moment against Milan like it was written in the stars and he went for it Um, he strikes me as a dreamer someone who dreams Mm. big someone who um, has a fucking difficult career ahead of him and has had a difficult time because of people you know, claiming, calling him an imposter. Yeah. An imposter. I mean, if you are the son of Paolo Maldini and the grandson of Cesare Maldini, you better be good, you know? Yeah. And this guy, not only is he not a defender, but he, he's a winger who's not particularly flashy or eye-catching, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? So what he does have is very good close ball control yes. in tight spaces and a long stride like a, a long stride of, yeah. a bit, bit of a caca style if you know what yeah. I mean that caca style um, and I mean that that was a great finish in this game it was no no he's, he's honestly opportunistic he's, he's quite good he, um, and I think this is his level at the moment of course and uh, not even a starter at this level a, a substitute mm. and I wonder how long Milan will keep him out on loan I wonder what they'll do you know I can't mm. imagine them selling him of course because of the dynasty but we'll we'll definitely see over there mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on him it's interesting to see when the Milan players talk about Daniel Maldini I don't know if it's whether it's to respect uh, Paolo Maldini mm. but they say he's one of the most gifted players yes. that they've ever seen and, and to be honest I see it I see his talent I see that that if if I were to watch him at Milan training I'd go fuck me this guy should start like it, it'd yeah. probably be that level of good he's probably fucked up he's he's probably insane but he's getting used to the big stage he hasn't that's been given it, many opportunities it, he's on the bench at Spezia he was out, he was on the bench at Milan but he will get his that's time. a fair point I'd, I, I'd forgotten that um his teammates had hailed him to be one of the most talented players in the team alongside Leao, I think, yeah, at the time. At uh-huh. all. Uh, top talents. A future Ballon d'Or winner, I believe the uh-huh. question was. was like Daniel Maldini and Leao. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Daniel Maldini. Hey, maybe but he'll blossom late as well. He probably. might. Who knows? Who knows? He just needs game time at this point. And at 21 years old, he should have a bit more um, experience. But, but, you know, the fact that he started at Milan did him no favours. The fact that Pioli would bring him on to take a corner in the 93rd minute yeah. of a Champions <laughs> League game. Like, for his debut didn't help at all either I don't. I also don't think it's a good time for young attacking midfielders because it feels like that role is ever changing at yeah, the moment at it Milan, feels like right? not only at Milan but over the years it seems like um, it's they were saying that the attacking midfield role is dying out because of the Gagan press because of the Gagan press um, and just because of a lot of teams aren't utilizing it at the moment you see players like Isco Asensio um, and a bunch of these guys that that's why for example Kevin De Bruyne is now playing mm. in a deeper role yeah. because they're not utilizing them that much it's an ever-changing role yeah. and they have to keep on adapting to it yes football is becoming more direct right yes more down to business but Anyway, I won't blab on for much longer. Inter are still in second on 50 points, 18 points behind Napoli and one ahead of Lazio, while Spezia in 17, they've now gained some ground um, away from the relegation zone on 24 points, is now five points ahead of Hellas Verona. 
Milan 1, Salernitana 1. A Monday night special over here. The previous encounter was a 2-1 victory for Milan. For the first time in history, Milan's lineup didn't feature a single Italian, bro. Berlusconi is quoted to have been devastated or furious. He might have even found it funny, to be honest. It's hard to tell behind all the plastic surgery. (laughs) (laughs) But yes... I'm surprised we're not out here saying Berlusconi's rolling in his grave. (laughs) Somehow he's still out with a big titted blonde, right? (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love him. Gotta love him. But anyway, um, yes, Milan lined up with a 3-4-2-1 formation with Manjan in goal. Tomori, Chao and Kalulu at the back with Theo Hernandez out on the left wing and the Salamakers out on the right. Krunic and Benasser were in the middle with Leao and Diaz playing behind Giroud. For Salernitana, it was their 3-4-2-1 formation, literally mirroring Milan over here. Ochoa was in goal with Danilo Lich, Gyomber and Pirola at the back. Matsoki on the right, Brotheridge on the left with Koulibaly and Bohinen as the midfield too, with Castanos and Kandreva playing behind Bulaye Dia. Yes, sir. In the first half, um, the highlight of the first half, actually, there were two. So there was a Giroud overhead kick that almost went in and was um, reacted to with a standing ovation by the fans. Mm. And there was a Chao mistake that led to Bulaye Dia charging towards Mike Manjan one-on-one and then Manjan coming out and just Paolo Maldini tackling him outside the area. It was a phenomenal one-on-one save by Mike Manian. Mm -hmm. Some Premhead friends of mine were sending it to me, like like it it actually reached them, which is a crazy thing that that they even take a look at our league every now and then. (laughs) Great news. Shout out Premhead. (laughs) In the 46th minute, Ben Nasser gave a corner to Giroud who headed it in. He got his goal. First goal in a while for Olivier Giroud. Mm -hmm. In the 61st minute, there was some slick build-up play that led to Damagoy Brotherich squaring it to Bulaye Dia who finished expertly did you know that Brotherich's first name is Domagoy Ooh. I've never heard the name Domagoy before the, I don't think I'll ever hear it again <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there we go yeah <laughs> Uh, Milan were awarded a penalty on a foul on Benasser towards the end of the game, but VAR overruled it. Now, mm-hmm. fair enough, it was a soft call. I didn't think VAR would overrule it, but the fact that the contact was made with the upper body and it was so slight and there was actually no contact with the legs makes it, I think, the fair, a fair decision, in my opinion. Ah, uh-huh, like when, when I initially saw it I said oh come on this mug get up and then the referee whistled and I'm like oh that's not a penalty like it's gonna get overturned and then seeing it from certain angles I'm like all right there was contact Mm -hmm. but no it was very soft when you slow it down it obviously looks worse but I had very minimal contact and it was a very harsh call to start with yes and and we've seen right um penalties given for similar situations as that but but yes in my opinion was the correct call and the 70th minute onwards it was literally just Milan trying to hoof the ball upfield Chao was taking an advanced position trying to flick the ball on yeah. to Origi and Giroud who had come on give me a was, break it was extremely 
frustrating to watch. Um, there were wingers out there who weren't even being utilized, the fullbacks like Theo Hernandez and um, Salamakers just were out wide and Milan kept going down the middle, the same old thing to Tomori or to Chao, flick on, trying to get it to Origi or, or mm-hmm. um, what the fuck's his name? Or Zlatan. Fucking yeah. hell. How the hell did I forget Zlatan? <laughs> but yes, that was extremely frustrating. And you look at the expected goals in this one, Salernitana had 0.78 and Milan had 2.29. So they underperformed over there as well. 64% ball possession for Milan. Now, bro, what were your observations from this game? Something you want to talk about? Uh, uh, so mainly the lack of... What's the word? Clin- clinicalness? Clinicality? Uh, what the hell is um, the... Milan aren't clinical. That's it. Let's word it like that. In the slightest. Right? Yeah. So, you've got this 3-4-2-1 formation, okay? Which, it's great because Giroud is the kind of striker that plays a lot with his back towards goal, pulls the defenders with him, and then you have Leao and Diaz going in behind them and he can play them through. Yeah. Fantastic, right? It would be fantastic if Leao and Brahim could score. It would be fantastic if Leao would give a shit during the game and, and, he, and he wouldn't seem so fucking lackadaisy yeah. during the game. It would help if Diaz could shoot without going, eh, there's... Milan don't have any sharpshooters. Milan don't have anyone that can get a goal apart from Giroud. And that that was obvious in this mm-hmm. game. M- Milan got the first goal through Giroud. Well done. Kill the game. Mm-hmm. Kill the game. Now, Salernitano are always going to be a frustrating opponent. But what confuses me the most about Milan lately is Rafa Leao, as you said. Um, first of all, it looks like he doesn't give a shit, and that's 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 a fact, you know? Mm-hmm. You can't say he doesn't, because he totally looks like he doesn't give a shit. Yeah. And he'd get the ball, lay the ball off to Ben Nasser, make the laziest half-ass run down the middle. Ben Nasser obviously doesn't play it to him, and you see him waving his arms around. He wasn't even in out. space. No, like, no, it no. It wasn't no, a good no. run. Um I don't know why he's being deployed so centrally. I don't know why he keeps trying to cut in. The best thing about Leao, the thing that makes Leao unplayable, as we've said a million times on this podcast, is his ability to get the ball, stop, and then burst out of nowhere. Burst towards the byline. And he will do any defender. Even Matsuki, who's quite a fast fullback over there. Um... He would have destroyed him every single time. But he didn't do it. He kept trying to cut in. He kept trying these long-range shots that kept getting blocked. I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on with Leao. And Pioli has addressed it. Pioli said that Leao in training gives 100% and seems like a professional. Then the games come and he looks like this. Yeah. So I don't know what the fuck that is. So clearly there's that. There's that side of it where Leao just seems lazy. He's not... um, He's a bit of a one-trick pony where he'd always do the same thing, but no one could contain him. But now it seems like they've got him figured out. Um, And then there's a thing of him playing more centrally. That's a fault of the formation, right? Because it's a 3-4-2-1 formation that allows Leao... Yeah, and Diaz to be not exactly wingers, but a bit closer to the striker, mm. which allows Hernandez and Salamakers to charge up and down the field. And that on the left really helps Hernandez. What it does is seriously compromise Leao. Because Leao, at the start, he was playing up front for Milan. And anywhere inside the box, he's not great. Yeah. In front of goal, he's not great. You need him in a wide position to cut the ball back in, 
blindly and hope to God that there's someone in a good position to turn the ball mm-hmm. into the back of the net. That's where you need Leal. Yeah. I think that now with Chow in the team, with Kalulu in the team, with Tomori in the team, with Benasser and Tonali in the team, with Milan, with Mike back as well, I think Milan should swap to a four at the back again. 4-2-3-1? 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3. And I would like to see Diaz stay on the wing because that's where he's best. That's where he has been the best. And I wouldn't mind him being one of those wingers that cuts in a little bit more. Leao to stay wide. I'd like to see Kalulu right back and I'd like to see Chao and Tomori as the two centre-backs. Mm-hmm. Benasser, Tonali, double pivot. And who's Obviously. the Trequartista? The Trequartista either play Charles, okay. bring Charles in and actually, look, you're not going to win the league, Milan. Right? Might as well. You might as well play Charles. Try to get him match fit, try to get his confidence up, just put him in every week. It's exactly. That's or else, idea. do a 4-3-3 and play Krunic, play Ben Nasser and play Tonali. Or play Pobega. <coughs> or play one of these yeah. guys. Apparently, Aster Ranks is growing in training. Apparently, he's playing very well. Okay. Um, I agree with the latter part of what you said, especially um, the formation change. Why not? Now that Milan are back to... Um, f- full health you know now that they've got money on back and all these protagonists back they could go back to the formation that actually won them the league yeah um, sure yes what I disagree with is when you said that Leao has been figured out I don't think he's been figured out I simply think it's he's not be, he's not playing in the same way mm. the, the reason he's not performing at his best is because he's not doing the things that he's succeeded in doing before why do you think he's not? Because he's not charging down the byline anymore. He's not getting the ball and knocking it forward. So it's, he's the, not one it's v- the position yes, change. He's, not, he's, not, he's never in 1v1 situations anymore out on mm. the wing. You put him in a 1v1, even at the halfway line, he's, you're done. <laughs> you're fucked. You're fucked. You're fucked. He's, he's going to run past you. you know? And once he does that once... Twice, you, you see him. He gets confident. He starts doing, you know. Then, then he'll he'll cut inside, and then suddenly it's like, okay, so this guy's done me on the byline three times in a row, and now he's cut in. I can't read him, but now every time he gets the ball, he tries to cut in. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't. Understand. And and he and he hasn't got a great shot on him as well as I said no, earlier. So yeah. cutting it on his right is something that he should be avoiding like the plague. I also think that it doesn't help that obviously there's all these contract negotiations. Yes, yeah, and like. Fuck me, man. If you're going to ask for so much money, put your fucking money where your mouth is, at least for the love of God. For the love of God, if you're asking to be Milan's most expensive player, act like you're Milan's most expensive player. Put in more work than anyone else because that's the person who deserves most money. I hate it when people say, Leao deserves as much, give him anything he wants. He won Milan the league last year. That is, that, that I'm going to go so far as say, that is my least favorite saying in the world. And there are some fucked sayings in the world, but that me, that Leao single-handedly won, me, won Milan the league last year. Go fuck yourself and pull your eyes out with a fucking toothpick because you don't know what you're talking about. He was great. Milan's player of the season and the best player in the league. Yes, sure. But... Tonali, 
and his last mid goal against yes. Lazio and his various contributions. Ben Nasser controlling that midfield. Giroud getting those winners against Inter and getting so many goals. Theo, Tomori, Tomori yeah. Theo, Kalulu coming in and solving that, that no, defensive true, but problem. He, he was the catalyst. He was the X factor, um, Leo. Leo was that was the difference between um, a nil-nil draw, a 1-1 draw or a 2-1 victory. So was Ben Nasser you know? sometimes, bro. Sure, yes. No, especially towards the end of the season, everyone became a big moment player. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Giroud especially, for example. You look at the, the goals he scored. But Leao, bro, was, was that driving force. He was the only player on this team that was actually unplayable. You couldn't. You can't play against him. It's true. When it, when he's on, bro, there, there is nothing you can do. You can put anyone against him. The only person I've seen contain Leo when he's in top form is the guy of Chelsea. What's his name? The the fullback, Rhys James. Uh, Rhys James. Rhys James was the course. only one I've seen. Uh-huh. Yes, who who actually managed to to hold Leo. But other than that, man, on his day, he's totally unplayable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, but that's the thing. On on his day, on his day, on his day, and I, yeah. and I do think that um, as much as obviously he's. Brilliant, and I hope to God that it wasn't a, a simple run of form that made him this good. Um, I think a, a big part of it is how marketable he is as well, mm, man. Yes. He's a very marketable player. He's got his trademark celebration. He's good looking. He's going on these shows with fucking speed. He's uh, he's hilarious on Twitter, kind of yeah. thing. He smiles when he's on the ball. Everyone's in love with him. Yes. Which maybe if, if he didn't have that, maybe it'd be 60 million yes. and it wouldn't be 100 million. You know what I'm saying? But thankfully, he's 100 million. Yeah. Um I think for his ability, he would be worth closer to that. But I understand your point. Yes, um, definitely. Great. So Salernitana are undefeated in three games in a row now as they sit in 16th with 26 points. Um, finally, Semplici desa- decided to start Dia. And yeah. Dia, of course, scored. Um, not not Semplici, bro, actually. Susa. Oh, Susa. Sorry, my bad, of course. We were just talking about Semplici. Um for Milan, they are currently in fourth with 48 points, thanks to Roma's freak loss against Sassuolo. Yeah. Taking it week by week. <laughs> yes, sir. And that is the perfect segue. Well done. Thank to you. Roma 3, Sassuolo 4. Now, we thought I was going to rage during the Milan one during the interval. I feel like this is going to be an episode of me raging because I have a lot <laughs> to rage about in this game as well. I'm so angry, man. <laughs> Roma 3, Sassuolo 4. The previous encounter was Sassuolo 1, Roma 1. So Pellegrini and Bellotti... Sorry, Pellegrini, Bellotti and suspended Brian Cristante all missed out, right? Dybala and Mancini were rested. So Chris Smalling was captain, obviously Dybala, and then came on and and scored that goal. Um, Mourinho started his two-match ban... Because it was overturned against Juve and then suddenly they're like, no, actually, you know what I mean? You need to sit these two games out because what you did was wrong. And it prompted this whole, uh, what they call a panolada protest from the crowd. They were waving these white handkerchiefs. Um, Roma as a club, they also had a media blackout in order to protest for this. Mourinho posted a photo of him handcuffed on social media. I prefer really not to... um not to speak and they didn't speak no one was able to speak on social media they did this whole blackout shit um on the other hand then Sassuolo welcomed back their captain Domenico Berardi from suspension and they were still without Muldur and, and Romagna yeah, so who cares? Big, big fucking whoop and, and obviously <laughs> Sassuolo uh, coming into this game had won four of their last six games 
So a compromise drama started in a 3-4-2-1 formation with Rui Patricio on goal and the back line of Kumbulla, motherfucker, Smalling and Ibanez. They had Spinazzola out on the left and Zalewski out on the right and double pivot of Matic and Bove. They had El Sharawi out on the left, they had Wijnaldum out on the right and Abraham up front. So a very, very compromised Rome. I'm just looking at this lineup and it's a bit, yeah, it's not ideal. Um, for Sassuolo, on the other hand, it's a 4-3-3 formation with Consigli in goal, a backline of Tolian, Ruan, Ferrari and Rogerio, a midfield three of Frattesi, Lopez and Henrique, and a front three of Berardi, Lauriente and Pinamonti between them. So let's get into this. 13th minute, Lauriente opens the scoring. The Frenchman netted into an empty net after Patricio denied Pinamonti's volley. Well, to be honest, Lauriente almost fucked that one, but he fumbled it yeah. over the line. In the 18th minute, Lauriente made it two goals in five minutes for Armand and four goals in two games for himself as well. 2-0 for Sassuolo. It was Berardi who squared the ball to him from the byline after repeatedly poking at the Giallo Rossi and Lauriente finished well. At a point, Berardi fucking backheeled the ball oh my God, between the legs of Zalewski. Of, between the legs of Zalewski. No, Spinazzola, sorry. Of, of Spinazzola, you're absolutely right. And just oof, having Berardi back for Sassuolo, such a massive plus, man. Mm. In the 25th minute, Roma pulled one back, making it 2-1. It was a Spinazzola cross that was met with the volley of the Polish wing-back Zalewski, which was mishit into the ground, but it bounced over a static consigli, making it 2-1. And then it was the 45th minute, right? 47th minute because it was 45 plus 2, right? Yeah. Berardi is down in the box because he's down in the box. It wasn't a simulation or anything of the sort. And Kumbulla... <laughs> Just kicks him maliciously. It wasn't a fucking hard kick. He didn't try to kick him, but the fucking idiot kicked him. He kicked him while he was grounded. The ball was in Patricio's hand, safe and sound. It was 2-1. They were going to head into halftime, down 2-1 to Sassuolo. But he kicked him, gave away a penalty, got sent off. And Berardi stepped up, scored the penalty and made it 3-1. Suddenly, they're heading into the break. 3-1 down and a man down. So really, really well done to Kumbulla, especially after the goal he scored midweek to send Roma through in the Europa League. Really, really well done to him for absolutely fucking their chances in this match. Yeah, finally, he got a break, man. His Roma career really hasn't been going... Um, smoothly and he scored in the Champions League and and it seemed to be going well not Champions League sorry the other one Europa League, Europa League the, and, other <laughs> the other one and yes it, it seemed to be a turning point for him but then not even a week later and he's out here doing this I mean tell me you're Albanian without telling me you're Albanian am I right? <laughs> Tell me you play in a Jose Mourinho team is maybe a more <laughs> a friendlier one. Sure. But yeah, maybe I, I, I do too. think that Mourinho's comments, his social media antics, his his interview antics, you know, I think that this does have an effect on such a young team, man. Maybe, maybe. And, and it, it could be the case. When you look at your leader, your leader needs to lead by example. Exactly. No? But then maybe as a professional, you, you should understand that this guy is there to fire you up and maybe you shouldn't be kicking motherfuckers yeah. when you're fired up, but whatever. 50th minute, they come out after the break and God bless Roma because even with a man down, they managed to get back into the game. 
after Dybala scored a fantastic goal that made one of our goals of the week it was El Sharawi who laid the ball off to Dybala just outside the area who spectacularly curled the ball into the top corner on a first time strike making it 3-2 from the restart of that, Berardi hit the crossbar with a half volley. That's how fucking dangerous yeah. Sassuolo are right now. And then the 75th, Lauriente carried the ball forward well before unleashing the hungry mammoth that is Pinamonti, who dinked the ball over the oncoming Patricio, making it 4-2. And then in the 96th minute, a very similar goal for Roma, to be honest, it was Smalling that charged forward, <laughs> carrying, the, carrying the ball. Um, with the ball at his feet, technique zero, but he's yeah. rushing <laughs> up with the ball. It then gives a decent ball to Wijnaldum, but he kind of chipped it too much to yeah. him. And Wijnaldum and then dinked the ball, well, he lifted the ball over the oncoming Consigli to make it 4-3. So just a consolation and the game ends. Roma 3, Sassuolo 4. So obviously there, there's a lot to talk about in this game. A seven-goal thriller, end-to-end -end stuff, Sassuolo looking incredibly dangerous, Roma compromised and still putting up a fight. What did you make of this game before we get into it? No, it was so chaotic, man. I love it. And I really like what um, Sassuolo have managed to, to start doing again. Um, they're looking like that offensive unit that we were used to in the days of... Um, What's the Zerbi? The no, before him. Eusebio uh, Di, Di Francesco, Francesco as well. Yeah, Di Francesco and the Zerbi both set the foundation for this team, of course. And Alessio Dionisi is a, a good manager, and I'm happy yeah. that they're sticking with them because finally it's sticking. Finally, they're getting Pinamonti working. Lauriente is a, an amazing signing. Amazing signing. Incredible, incredible football player. Yeah. Um, and now the Berardi is back as well. We, we, They've got Lopez and Fratesi in the middle as well. It's all good for Sassuolo at the moment. And they're climbing the table again. They are, man. They are. And they're incredibly dangerous. They look like they're going to score with every single attack that they have. This mirrored the game that they had against Milan, where yeah. they obviously won five goals to two. With Traor, with sorry, Traore, <laughs> with Lauriente in the team and Berardi in the team, they, ha they are top three when it comes to wingers in the league. Probably, yes. Actually. Probably, probably yes, the, yes, the yes, best. Yes. Tell me, like Juve individually, obviously have Di Maria and Chiesa, mm -hmm. for example. Um, there's Atalanta, Napoli, of course. But, but you know, Napoli have Guevara. And then the other side, it, it's either Politano or, Lozano. or Chucky Lozano. Um, which I mean is, is, is not bad yeah, at all. Yeah, it's better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but yes, um, they're definitely top, top three. five for sure. I would even say third, yes. Um, Berardi and Lauriente just give you something so, so amazing on the wings. Absolutely, man. And, and what a plus it is having their captain back, Berardi. Apart from him being an absolute menace, his, he is a great captain. He's a leader. He motivates everyone. He leads by example. And, and then just above that, he's a fucking goal-scoring winger. Like yeah. It mustn't be easy to stay at a team like Sassuolo for so long. We often wonder, why is it that Sassuolo show up in the big games and lose in the small ones? You know, and mm. a, a big part of that, and we've discussed this quite, quite often on the podcast, um, is that they don't have a fan base. You know, yeah. you look at the the stands, there, there are no celebrations when, when Sassuolo get a last minute goal. There, there are no celebrations ever. Yeah. It's just the players celebrating and like three guys in the stand. Yeah. It's quite sad to watch. And the fact that Berardi has managed to stay over there, he's a real legend, man. Yeah. For those few Sassuolo fans that exist, because um, many people um, over there actually support other teams like Inter, Milan, Juve, whatever. For those who support Sassuolo, Berardi is a 
god. Yeah, for 100%. And I don't know why so many teams haven't snapped him up yet. When you think of the lack of talent there is on the right wing around the world, really, yeah. how, how scarce it is to have a good right winger. Um, Domenico Berardi, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. Milan, for example, have been complaining about their right wingers for a while now. Obviously, there, there's that whole financial thing, but like the Catalare cost 40 million and they had Brahim in that position. So yeah. maybe if they allocated those resources towards getting Berardi on, it would have been a good shout for them. Yeah. Um, still 28 years old, Berardi. It feels like he's been around for ages. I think, to be honest, they're, they're, Milan might be waiting for his fucking price tag to go down because of his age, like, or, or waiting yeah, for his contract to run out. <laughs> Roma had to play the entirety of the second half with 10 men and down by two after Kumbulla did what he did, which we um, already kind of went through. But the man caused absolute havoc for no reason whatsoever. If you're Mourinho, like, how do you react to that as his manager? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you have to you have to let him know. Obviously, obviously. Uh, he Kumbula would be distraught after that, yeah. right? He'd be embarrassed. He's going to get a lot of backlash in the media. I think Mourinho, what you should do is tell him, listen, rush of blood to the head. We've all been there. Competitive spirit. You have to move on from this. Mm. You have to move on. Like, don't dwell on it. When you're back, you're back. Let's keep going. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that would be the right way to... To go about it. Yeah. Um, and thankfully, he's not Rick Karsdorp, so Mourinho yeah. might actually do that. Because, <laughs> by the way, Mourinho's back to shitting on Karsdorp. Is he? Yes, yes. In the media, he's using him as a, as a scapegoat yet okay. again. Okay. Um, <laughs> which is which is almost becoming too much, to, to be honest with you. Because this guy got exiled from the squad. Now Mourinho actually gave him a second chance, as we predicted he would. Um, but he's shitting on him again. So like at this point, just don't play him. If, if you yeah. don't like what he has to offer, don't play him. Exactly, exactly. And that's a simple fact of the matter. And it's funny because he um, initially started shitting on Karsdorp after, after their first game against Sassuolo. Oh, really? Where, yeah, he, he, he had said that, that one player's unprofessional attitude affected the entire team yeah and it's funny because another player's unprofessional attitude fuck them in, in this game against Sassuolo as well um, but he's back to shitting on on Rick Karsdorp who yeah. defensively is way more sound than than Zalewski but it is good to see Zalewski getting his first goal for the club yeah for sure it is it's been a long time coming he's been playing very well the young youngster yeah I'm I'm dying to hear what Mourinho or any of the coaching staff have to say about this game but obviously they're not speaking because of the media <laughs> blackout but I, I'm just dying to hear something I even went on um, Chiesa de Totti in the oh, yeah. build up to this game great page run by Roma fans um, absolutely brilliant articles you should give them a look um, and they too didn't seem to have much to say obviously they highlighted what, what Kumbulla did and, and how wrong that was um, uh, the media blackout and, and the call on Mourinho to suddenly be suspended again after they let him be on the sideline for the Juve game. What, mm. what, what is with that like? I have no clue, bro. It's, it's a really weird one, I guess. Um, the appeal was given. It was granted. Um, ban was lifted and then all of a sudden they, they impose it again. I'm not sure what that's all about. Yeah, well, neither neither do I. It's quite a Serie A kind of, kind of call to make. Um, 
Dionysi's reaction was to the penalty. Cute, to yeah. the penalty. He, he couldn't, couldn't watch it. He couldn't watch. I, I don't know if you guys know, but our girlfriends, well, my girlfriend, I think, because yeah. I, I've never heard Sarah call Dionysi a cutie pie. Um, <laughs> but she finds Dionysi really attractive. Yeah, she calls him the sexy manager. Yeah, the, the, the sexy manager. So is the sexy manager going to be there this weekend? Like, yes. Yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> he's there every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and she used to she used to call Mihailovic the, the one with the swanky hat. Yeah. So no no first it was a week apart by the yeah. way. One week she sees Mihailovic on TV and she's like that's a stupid hat and we're like okay. The, a week later he's on the TV again wearing a, the exact same hat and she's like what a swanky hat <laughs> are you kidding me that was funny as well she's like well, why is he wearing that stupid hat yeah. and I'm like he's got cancer man <laughs> yeah. and he's like oh <laughs> and he just changed her ways a week yeah. later he's like oh that's a swanky hat like of course it's swanky now yeah, how rude feeling guilty yeah but but I mean there's, there's not uh, as in there was so much chaos in this game. Um, so many good talking points for Sassuolo on how dangerous they are. There's still that question about them defensively, that they're still not that strong. Roma, on the other hand, coming into this game, were very compromised. And I think for how compromised they were and down to 10 men in the second half, I think they did a good job. I think they played well. Um, I think, for example, Bove didn't have... A brilliant match. I think Matic didn't have a brilliant match either, but they did the best they can do. You've got one of them that's just starting his career and the other one that's finishing his career and there's absolutely no balance over there. And on the other hand, you've got Fratesi, Lopez and Henrique that just tore them apart in midfield and I do think that that's where Sassuolo won the game. Yes, yes. And that's where they win most games. Yeah. Um, you look at them, man. If they had Torino's defense, Oof. imagine Sassuolo with Torino's defense. It'd be Oof. so good. Um, or even Udinese's defense, to be honest. That's the only thing. Sassuolo, when it comes, when you compare them to like Monza, Udinese, Bologna, Torino, even Fiorentina, they've got a very good offensive line absolutely. and midfield. Probably better than all those guys. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to their defensive line, it's absolutely rubbish. <laughs> yeah. Pinamonti. Yeah. Got a goal over here, big goal against against Roma. Um, what do you do with with Pinamonti? I would personally keep him on for another season and keep on starting him until he explodes because he's yeah. got it in him. I think, man. Yeah, he does, and he's finally settling in. Right, um, it takes a while to settle into a team with such a particular system, especially when you came from a team um, with a different system in Empoli. Yeah. Um, so yes, definitely, they should definitely stick to him. Yeah, I agree. It's not like Roma were the better team or anything in this game. Sassuolo had an XG of four goals, whereas Roma had an XG of 1.78 goals. There were 17 goal attempts by Roma to Sassuolo's 19 goal attempts, seven on target for Roma, 10 on target for Sassuolo. Yeah, honourable work by Roma to try to actually get something out of this game. They almost managed. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's no easy feat against yeah. uh, at home against Sassuolo is more dangerous than away yeah. to Sassuolo, and and we all know that. Robin Hood, yeah, they steal from the rich, they give to the poor. Exactly. Roma obviously missed out on quite an opportunity here to break into the top four, but they are now down to fifth on forty-seven points. Um, while Sassuolo climbed to thirteenth on thirty-three points, they're now level on points with Mon. One behind Fiorentina and two behind Udinese. How the turntables, man. How oh, the turntables. Juventus four, Sampdoria two. 
The previous encounter was a nil-nil draw. Juventus have won their last eight Serie A home meetings against Sampdoria for the first time since their run between 1947 and 1953. My God. For Juve, it was their 3-5-1-1 formation with Perin in goal, Danilo, Bonucci and Bremer at the back, Kostic on the left and Deschili on the right with a midfield three of Rabio, Barreneccia and Fagioli. Uh, Miretti was the trequartista with Vlaovic up front. For Sampdoria, it was their 3-4-1 formation with Turk in goal. Mm, Turk, mm. Turk. Where was Turk. JD? <laughs> Scrubs reference for those. Who Baby, don't know. all my life I will be driving. That's King of Queen. Oh my God! Yeah, so I'm just gonna let that sit. <laughs> Thanks. Gunter, Nuitink and Amione were at the back with Zanoli on the right, Augello on the left, Harry Winks and Rincon were in the middle, Larissa and Juricic were playing behind Gabbiadini. Um, no Superman, that's the that's one. That's the one, yeah, so there we go. In the 11th minute, Kostic gave a corner and found Bremer who made an amazing run. The Brazilian towered over everyone and headed it home his third goal of the season. In the 26th minute, Miretti played a great outswinging ball into the area and Rabion, Rabion, Rabiot towered <laughs> over everyone to head at home. Amazing aerial dominance over there. That was Rabiot's eighth goal of the season, his best season to date. Of course, it comes when his contract is expiring. Um, so a little bit of a tricky situation for you. Yeah. Should they renew him? His demands must be quite high at the moment with the season he's had. Um, or should they take into consideration the fact that for the three years prior to this one, he was quite mediocre? Yeah. In the 31st minute, Sampdoria started their comeback as Leri's shot was blocked and the ball fell into the path of Augello, who scored with his weaker foot. Um, you know Sampdoria are done, by the way, because of the way the players celebrate meaningless goals. Like, yeah. Augello scored the goal to make it 2-1 and he took off to the corner flag to celebrate. Like, <laughs> go pick the ball up, bro. <laughs> you know, you're about to get relegated. Go get the ball and try to score again. And to be fair, he celebrated. They got the ball back. One minute later, Napoli loaned Alessandro Zanoli, terror his right hand side and squared it to Juricic who scored first time a great goal over there and suddenly it's 2-2 half time second half starts and in the 64th minute Rabiot controlled the ball with his arm and volleyed it home he didn't celebrate because he knew it had hit his arm um, but apparently the Allianz Stadium only has one camera angle on that part of the pitch and this is actually a fact it's not a joke I'm not being funny there's one camera angle available and that's, that's one of the reasons why for example um, Kandreva wasn't seen in that offside position when Salernitana scored that goal um, earlier on the season um, I, I, I don't even know what to say this is one of the most modern stadiums in Italy how does it have only one camera angle yeah I, I was gonna say how convenient for you yeah. man. But <laughs> of all teams it's actually but it actually bit easy. them in the ass before yeah. as well yeah um, <laughs> fucking shambolic to be honest yeah. with you one camera bro I could lend them a lot of, like 200 euro if they want like yeah. <laughs> there we go <laughs> to get a Canon camera and put it somewhere like <laughs> Jesus Christ yeah just put an iPhone somewhere <laughs> Later on, Augello dropped Quadrado in the box. Quadrado, the slippery little cockroach he is, managed to win a penalty. Dusan Vlaovic sent the keeper the wrong way but hit the bar. Shortly after that, Quadrado struck the crossbar and in the 93rd minute, Vlaovic's header hit the crossbar again and Sule headed in his first goal ever for Juventus at the age of 18 years old. A great Beautiful. moment for him and a massive victory for Juventus. Um, no longer 1-0 victories and they're scoring goals nowadays and they're conceding as well. As a yeah, exactly. As as a result of that, they're also conceding. Keep in mind that alongside Lazio, they were the team with the best defense this year.
Yeah, it almost seemed like no one was ever going to score against Juve. They went on a run of like seven matches without conceding yeah. a goal or six matches, I think it was. That was obviously before they conceded so many in one game. I believe that was against Napoli. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, it, it, it's they are playing a more attractive brand of football under Max Allegri. Bless him, because he's gotten a lot of shit yeah. for his very uh, pragmatic approach to every single game. His very boring approach. Um, but you know they, they they are playing an attractive brand of football, and at the moment, Juve are one of the teams that I'm enjoying to watch the most. Yes, and and that's not a thing that's often said. Um, you look at the individuals available; they, they're all capable of changing the game. Chiesa, yeah. Vlaovic, um, Di Maria, for example, these guys can create something out of nothing. Even Rabiot, the form he's in. Yeah. So that's nice to see. Mm, but then you see the way that they lined up in this game, and and there was Barinetta. Miretti and Fagioli all starting yeah. and and the, you know Fagioli got an assist Miretti got an assist so they've got young talent they do. as well they do. and they've got a bright future ahead of them they do Mancini has praised them in fact um, and he didn't comment about the the Milan situation where they didn't feel, feel the single Ital mm. Italian it's the opposite situation at Juve right now yeah um, Sampdoria had previ previously scored 11 goals all season long but managed to put two past Juventus in two minutes the last time Juve conceded two in two minutes was against Kievo in 2011 when Fernando Rebenge and Naro Sardo managed to secure a precious point for Kievo with goals in the 68th and 69th My God. minute yeah, so it had been a while since Juve got split open like that and I do think a big factor of that is the dusty Bonucci at the back I think Bonucci is done and I, I don't think that um, he has much longer left at Juve no absolutely not and I think Juve will um, be quick to the market to find another centre back at the moment obviously Bremer Danilo and Sandro have served them very well they've got Ayan Gatti as well that's dying to prove himself mm -hmm. and has already had a couple of good performances more than a couple actually um, but I think they will be in, in, the, in the market to sign one obviously if they don't have a transfer ban or anything of the sort yeah. and you just know they're going to look for a young Italian centre-back yes bro is Pogba done? Interesting. he's out for another month and in the past three seasons he's missed like 140 something games mm. or something like yeah. that it's it's too much right it's too much for a player who's on the wages that Pogba's on that's way too much yeah that, that, that's what I always say that that modern football um, with the way it's working if you have a couple of good seasons now obviously Pogba had more than a couple of good seasons but the, the Premier League and, and other leagues are paying so much to these players that should they go through a bad run of form you could consider their career over because no one's willing to spend so much money yeah, on unless them. Unless they take a pay cut. Unless they take a pay cut, which most of them wouldn't be willing to take because keep in mind that these people just want to live comfortable life. So you look at Gareth Bale, who retired so young. Yeah. You look at Eden Hazard, that will probably follow suit soon. Um, you, you look at a bunch of players that are in that situation right now. Pogba, he's, so his, his body isn't there. Yeah, he's he, 29 he, years old. Sure. He's 29 years old. He's always been riddled with injuries. Now mm. it's worse than it's ever been. They're piling on each other. He also has somewhat of an attitude problem, which got him. Um, he, he 
he was only involved. He could have only been involved in three games this season, twice as a substitute. One of them in, in one of the games, he appeared for 15 minutes. Um, in the other one, he didn't appear. And then the other one, he couldn't get called up because he showed up late to a team meeting, yeah, something, like something of the sort. Um, so he's not helping himself either. But to answer your question of is Pogba finished? I think at the top level, he might be. Uh, yeah, um, he's on eight. 0.8 million pounds per year playing for Juventus. That's 170,000 pounds a week. Um, he's 29 years old. Again, his contract expires in 2026. That's the thing, right? Juve are going to find it tough to sell him, so he's he's going to have to um, recover slowly. Yeah, and it's kind of his his fault as well because. He tried to rush his recovery to make it in time for the World Cup and that bit him in the ass because he's been relapsing ever since. Yeah, he avoided surgery and then he got injured again and, and, and he was forced to have the surgery. Um, so he could have won himself a couple of months there potentially, if, you know, and it wouldn't just be him. Obviously, the, the medical staff w- would have tried to make him have the surgery, but clearly they didn't try hard enough. Yeah, um, he wanted to play in the World Cup. You can't really mm. force a player with a dream like that. Um, Vlaovic, his poor run of form. Uh, we've defend we defended about two yeah. or three weeks ago. We said that it's it's not that bad, but he he still has yet to score. And now once again, people are are talking about it. Stankovic, mm-hmm. for example, after the match had a chat with Vlaovic. He told him not to give up and to keep his head down yeah. and keep working because the goals will come. Are you are you concerned about Vlaovic? I'm not concerned about Vlaovic. No, right. The goals will come. Yes, he's going through a, a a tough time where his shooting boots aren't on, but we know what kind of player he is we know how talented he is he's still a young guy he's got an entire career ahead of him I don't think you are gonna lose faith in him because they, they they too know how great he is I definitely don't think he was a one or two season wonder because he's got that, that ability in him um yeah he's going through a tough time I think the fact that we've spoken about the system that he plays in doesn't allow him to get many goals because they don't really play with a target man and they've even played without a striker before Juve. Yeah. That doesn't help Vlaovic. Um, and then you'd at least hope that the chances that he gets, like for example, from the spot where he's been so deadly before, that he'll score the chances he gets. But it's played with his confidence. Yeah. Um, but but he will be back. He will be back. And he'll be one of the best strikers in the league again in a heartbeat. Sure, I, I agree. Um, Zanoli, bro, the fullback of Sampdoria is currently on loan from Napoli. He's 21 years old. He's a Libra. Fun fact, I just Googled his age on Wikipedia and it told me he's a Libra. So whoever cares about that type of stuff, there you go. Um, do you think that he can be a vice Di Lorenzo? No, because he's a Libra. No, there <laughs> Had he been a Sagittarius. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, he could be. He could yeah. be a vice for him. Uh, and even, you know, he, he could, with the rotation that Napoli play with, you know, occasionally bringing in players who still fit the system well, under Spalletti, he could really be a good refined right back. And he has Di Lorenzo to learn a lot from. So he'll be in great hands at Naples. And I think he's he'll be dying to go back. Yeah. 
Um, just a fun little fact before we move on. No one has created more chances than Di Maria and Seiya this season with 25. Um, he's even with Jeremy Boga. Okay. Interesting. That's an interesting little stat over there. Deserved victory for Juventus. Sampdoria tried and fought, but it was not enough. Juve's dominance in set pieces and in the air proved to be absolutely devastating for them. Yeah. Sorry about this. So yes, I have the actual quote here, actually, from Stankovic. I forgot I prepared this, and I can I can quote it here. I spoke to Dusan in the locker room like I was his father, and he was my son. It's not a good moment for him, but he can't give up. He's a born bomber. He'll break his duck. You know better than me that when it happens, he'll even start scoring with his shoulder. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yes, fair enough, fair enough. Um, yeah. I, I tend to agree with Stankovic over there. Same here. A good person, perhaps. Not having the best season ever. He's statistically Sampdoria's worst ever coach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Juventus have climbed to seventh with 38 points. They're edging closer and closer to that top four spot as they're only 10 points away right now. While Sampdoria sit dead last with 12 points and haven't won a game in ages. Yeah, We forgot to address the Champions League. Oh yes Milan advanced After drawing nil-nil to Spurs Mike pulled off a great save Towards the end To keep Milan In the game And they advanced And yesterday Porto Inter also ended Draw in Portugal um, Onana also Pulled off some great saves And at a point In the space of Five seconds Porto hit the crossbar twice Yeah man Crazy scenes Towards the end man They got so close Porto at the end But yeah. Inter um, Held it together And actually went through Dumfries cleared the ball Off the line Yeah So um, he gives away A penalty in Serie A He's hated Clears the ball Off the line In the Champions League He's loved like, <laughs> Exactly Inter fans don't know How to feel about him Yeah Now Napoli are winning 3-0 against Frankfurt Um so yeah, Frankfurt fans are going to feel a bit stupid for what they've done. But yeah, we could move on to Bologna, nil, Lazio, nil. The previous encounter was a 2-1 victory for Bologna, along with a 1-0 victory in the Coppa Italia. These teams were both in good general form, but also fresh from surprise defeats, Bologna to Torino and Lazio in the Conference League to AZ Alkmaar. Arnautovic, Orsolini, Dominguez and Immobile were out injured and Adam Marisic was suspended. It was a 4-2-3-1 formation for Motta's men with Skorupski in goal and the backline of Cambiaso, Lukumi, Sao Mauro and Posh. A double pivot of Schouten and Moro in the middle with Kyriakopoulos out on the left, Abishar out on the right with Ferguson down the middle in the Trequartista role and Musa Barrow up front. So again, we're looking at quite a compromised team. For Lazio, it was a 4-3-3 formation with Provedel in goal and the backline of Lazzari, Ciazale, Romagnoli and Hisai and a midfield three of Milinkovic, Savic, Vecino and Luis Alberto and a front three of Pedro, Zaccagni and Anderson down the middle. So although it was a nil-nil draw, doesn't mean there wasn't any action whatsoever, guys, but most of the action did come from Bologna, actually, who did look like they were going to get away with a victory over here. In the 28th minute, Lewis Ferguson hit the post with a header after a good cross by Kyriakopoulos. In the 33rd minute, Provedel denied Barrow a great goal by getting down well with a strong hand at his near post. And in the 34th minute, Lazio got close. Skorupski produced a massive double save after denying Alberto clean through on goal before stopping an Anderson follow-up. And then in the second half, Kyriakopoulos' shot dragged just wide and Musa Barrow nearly scored from a direct corner and also with a long-range shot which flashed just wide 
moments later. It was a great, great performance by Musa Barrow. Yes, he played really well in the absence of Arnautovic and uh, Morsolini. He proved to be quite the driving force up front and he was unlucky not to get anything this game. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And we've criticized him as a striker, but his work ethic was absolutely there. He held the ball up really well towards the end of the game. He was defending very well as well. He got a pivotal block at a point as well. I forgot exactly who he denied, but it was absolutely brilliant. And he seemed happy. Um... Mm. And and maybe it's more things to come. I haven't seen much of him this season, but with this compromise side, we'll definitely be seeing more of him. Yeah. <laughs> You're trying to hold an eye on and you look really funny. Yeah. Um, I'm trying not to show you that I'm bored of what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> there was a comical moment in the final minutes as referee Fabio Maresca rushed over to stop Felipe Anderson's argument with Gary Medel and he slipped and accidentally crashed into both of them. <laughs> I haven't seen that. I haven't seen it's it. It's hilarious, bro. It's you have hilarious. to find it. And Hopefully we'll, we'll find it. it. Yeah, we, yes. we could make this a little snippet oh my as God. well. You're welcome, guys. I feel like overall in this game, so Bologna were the most dangerous side, but they failed to score past a very tight-knit Lazio defense. In fact, you look at most of the attempts, they came from distance, um, with the exception of Ferguson's header that hit the post. Barrow tried one from distance, and he tried one from a fucking corner. Um, and, And just a lot of these shots... Um, did happen from distance even Barrow when Provedel dropped down to get a good save with a strong hand that was also kind of uh, from quite a tight angle it's really tough to penetrate Lazio no matter how much of a good game you're having man yeah it's true Um, and Lazio they do struggle away from home but they're still a unit you know Uh, yeah defensively they're still sound um, Trasale and Romagnoli are quite difficult to get through and Provedel and goal isn't really a joke and then you look at the midfield there you have Savage and Vecino who are extremely physical and you have the tricky little Luis Alberto mm. it's um, it's a tough team to penetrate yeah I think off the ball they're one they're among the best in the league mm-hmm. Lazio um, they did however fail to assert themselves in this match they did lack intensity but they remained defensively sound as we're saying um, which obviously resulted in this nil-nil stalemate um, Our listener and friend Matthias um, asked if we think that Baldanzi would fare well at Lazio. Baldanzi, I'm not exactly sure that as such an offensive track artista, he, he fits their system exactly. Um, but should they wish to amp it up and, and go more attacking in a game, he'd be great to bring off the bench. But I don't know if he, he'd fit directly in the system. Maybe I'd see him even playing as one of the wingers, maybe replacing, for example, Pedro, if Pedro's injured, I think he could play in those areas. I see him fitting in more there than the midfield. Okay. Um, I, I can see him fitting in the, in the... If it's like a 4-3-3 with an advanced midfielder, you know what I mean? So let's say, for example, when Luis Alberto's out or he can be an understudy to Luis Alberto, for example, you play with Milinkovic, Savic and Vecino as the double pivot and you mm. have Baldanzi in the hole over there in the pocket. I think he can do really well there. Mm. I, I, don't um, think, I don't think Lazio fancy playing that way, though. I think they like having those three as a unit alongside each other yeah. um, without having one of them straying offensively too much. They like a balanced midfield, I feel. It's true, but that third midfielder the Luis Alberto midfielder in the system um, the Zielinski back in, in mm. Sarri's time at Napoli um, he tend, they tend to be tricky 
players who have a lot of flair and creativity going forward. And Baldanzi does suit that. And Baldanzi is at the age where he can be molded into anything. Yeah, that's true. So, um, so it could work out, yes. I still, I still don't think he's ready for a leap of that caliber yet. Mm-hmm. I think it, it'd be better for him to stay at a team like Empoli, really fight for his starting spot and cement himself into that team as he's, as he's done mm-hmm. and develop slowly without any pressure. And then eventually when, when he's got a bit more experience and then he can take the leap to a top team. That, that for sure, if he were to go to Lazio, it'd be more of a, like, a, a, like an experimental substitute when they need to find a goal and, and they want to be more offensive. I find it interesting that in that midfield, like when Luis Alberto wasn't playing, Cataldi was playing. So that goes to show how he, he I feel like at Lazio, he really doesn't like having such an offensive outlet. Yeah. But times can change, teams can change, and, and maybe he'll be a good little coup for them. Skorupski obviously had that mad double save. Um, I feel like that's his trademark, those those double saves yeah. he pulls off a couple. He's such a good keeper. I rate him so highly, man, Skorupski. He's cat-like and um, it's a shame that he exists at the same time that Szczesny exists because he yeah. could um, be Poland's number one goalkeeper. But, but it looks like, you know, Szczesny's 32, Skorupski's 31. I don't think Skorupski will ever play for Poland to be honest Um, Dragowski on the other hand is probably the future of the Polish national team at 25 years old but Skorupski has been around he was at Roma that that I did not know I was surprised to find that out man yeah from 2013 to 2018 he only had six appearances he was their backup goalkeeper then he was sent out on loan to Empoli where he played in that team with Caputo and Traore and all those Mm. guys they played a very attractive brand of football he had 66 appearances there and has been (laughs) at Bologna since 2018 now and doing very well and has cemented himself getting over 160 caps for them yeah I think he's one of the best keepers in Serie A man I really really rate him Um, Lazio sit in third on 49 points one behind Inter whilst Bologna are in ninth on 36 points just two points behind Juve in seventh and one point behind Torino in eighth the next game we're going to be covering is Cremonese nil Fiorentina 2. The reverse fixture was a 3-2 victory for Fiorentina. I remember the drama at the end with the Rado mistake. Yeah. Cremonese have match day one. Match day one. There we go. Cremonese have failed to beat Fiorentina in 12 say uh, meetings. Um, and another fun little fact over here is among the players in Europe's top five leagues in 2022-2023, only Kane and Mbolo have scored more headed goals than Jovic. What? I know. It feels like every goal Jovic scores is a header. And he's not even that big, is he? <coughs> no. You look at Kane, he scored seven headers, Mbolo six, and Jovic five. This is in all competitions, of course. Mm. That makes sense because yeah. in Serie A it wouldn't be possible. <laughs> now, Cremonese lined up with their 5-3-2 formation, classic Davide Ballardini ball over here with Carnesecchi <laughs> in goal, Valeri out on the left and Sir Nicola on the right. The defensive three were Vasquez, Bianchetti and Ferrari. Benassi, Galdames and Pickle played in the middle with Dezers and Saju up front. For Fiorentina, it was a 4-2-3-1 formation. Sirigu was in goal for this one. Dodo on the right, Biragi on the left with Martinez, Quarta and Milinkovic at the back. Amrabat and Mandragora played in the midfield with Jonathan Iquana on the right wing Ricardo Saponara on the left wing Barak as the Trequartista and Cabral up front now 
Dessers almost flicked in a looping header in the first minute and went just over the bar. Over there was a good mm-hmm. chance for Cremonese. They would have made their lives a living hell had that gone in. Yeah. They would have wasted the entire game, basically. In the 27th minute, there was some good link-up play and some nice Cremonese ball-watching that led to Mandragora driving in his first goal since match day one against Cremonese. My God. As well, yes. Um, he was inspired, Mandragora, this game. Played a really good game of very football. Very good game, very good game. In the 50th minute, there was once again some amazing link-up play from Fiorentina as they one 2 their way into the box, leading to Mandragora squaring it to Cabral, who converted. Only Ozyman has scored more than Cabral in Serie A in 2023. Oh, what? I know, bro. These stats, Jesus like, what the fuck? Christ. Where are they coming from? Fuck. In the 79th minute, um, Cremonese had an opportunity to get back into the game when Okereke was played through, but Sirigu had an amazing one-on-one save on Okereke over there. Mm. Now, this game was pretty much a solid display from Fiorentina and they they won it because they were more lethal because to be fair, when you look at the statistics of this game, when you watch this game, it was quite even, Mm. quite an even affair. Mm. However, um, you have players like Dessers, you have Trofani who was brought on as a solution, you have Okereke. These guys all had opportunities to score th- this game, but they did not. Um, their defense was terrible on the first goal, um, everyone ball watching. Cremonese deserved this loss and Fiorentina deserved their third victory in a row. Yeah, I mean, Cre- Cremonese, obviously, they do look like an improved side, but playing against Fiorentina at the moment is hell for anyone. They're on such good form and they even they keep changing things around obviously they're notorious for their um rotation especially in the wing department they had mandragora in this game they had cabral in this game and they opted for ricona and saponara on the wings i mean it it was a solid display by them but like you're saying cremonese are really not up to the task stats are quite even but Cremonese, just when they were attacking, they really didn't look like they were posing any threat, really. Yeah. Um, is looping header, for example, was very, very fucking weak yeah. by him. And they, they don't have difference makers. They don't have someone that can finish a chance or provide a chance. So it was quite straightforward, I would say, for Fiorentina. Yes, um, it, it was quite straightforward. Um, I'm, I'm always impressed, bro. Um Saponara, okay, we always talk about him, but he's never talked about anywhere else, right? No. And you look at this guy and you look at nowadays, okay, they've got Ikone, they've got um, Kwame, they've got Sotil, they've got Nico Gonzalez, and now they've brought in Brecalo, right? Yeah. Those are five wingers. Yeah. <laughs> six with Saponara. Yet in the league, Saponara starts more often than not nowadays. You know why, eh? Because of his fucking massive brain, bro. That's why. He's a genius, right? And he understands Italiano's system. Italiano respects him because of his high footballing IQ. Vlaovic nicknamed him Il Professore del Calcio when he was at Fiorentina, professor of football. There's a reason for that, yes. Sometimes it's not only about your your work rate, your physicality. Sometimes it's simply about your ability to see the space and play someone into the space. Your ability to play a touch... Like a one pass mm. move, you know, is simply get the ball and release immediately, uh-huh. release into the space. And Saponara is like, God at doing mm-hmm. that. Granted, he doesn't have many minutes in his legs. In fact, he took him off in the 46th minute over there. Yeah. Um, and they did look more direct without him. However, the creativity did dip. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, um, so it's it's crazy to see Saponara starting so consistently with so much competition in that department. Uh-huh. And and I think Saponara might have a better time on the pitch when Cabral is starting rather than Jovic because he provides so much more movement up front. That yes. Saponara could really, really find him, even with his height. Um, yeah, I think I think he'd simply have a better time with him on the pitch. Definitely, bro. Um, Cabral and Jovic are both scoring nowadays, aren't they? Um, mm-hmm. we, we said recently you have to kind of start one of them. Now you have to give one of them consistent game time. Yeah. But that he seems to be doing the opposite right now, Italiano, just playing in 50-50 and suddenly they've both started scoring. So good on you, Italiano. Uh-huh. You figured it out. He, yeah, he's, he's absolutely figured it out and he's getting the best out of both of them at the moment. And you know what? I think he's getting the best out of everyone in this team right now. Um, before it was a bit of an identity crisis for Fiorentina. They lacked creativity. Um, they lacked someone that can score the goals for them. And now they're a creative unit that score goals. <laughs> you know what I mean? So things have really changed for them. And yeah, they'll, they'll break into the top 10. You know what I mean? Sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. But they, they're very good now. <clears throat> yes. They're very good. The past three, four games, wow. And there is something psychological over here. And I don't know how much players actually care about this stuff and this, if this stuff is actually talked about in the dressing room. But you look at, for example, Fiorentina, this match day, they've fixed their goal difference, their goal difference at a zero. I wonder if they they look at this and say, okay, this is a fresh start. I mean, it's absolutely. only up from here. Let's not go into the negative now. Absolutely. I mean, especially for their defense. I mean, they, mm. they don't want to be conceding all of those goals. And, and it's a great sign because before they were conceding and not scoring. And now they're scoring and they're not conceding. Yeah. So it's like, okay, guys, this needs to be a fucking 10 by the end of the season and, and there will be a bit of a, a target on that front I'm quite sure there will be yeah Torino have the same thing by the way they this match they, they've hit reset zero. their goal their goal difference they've hit zero wow very interesting um, yes not much else to say about this game let's go into their standings so Fiorentina are 11th with 34 points while Cremonese are 19th with 12 points the next game we're going to be covering is Lecce nil Torino 2. The previous encounter was a 1-0 victory for Torino. Lecce started in their 4-3-3 formation with Falcone and goal and the backline of Gallo, Umtiti, Baschirotto and Jean-Dre. They had a midfield three of Gonzalez, Hulman and Blin with Di Francesco out on the left, Strefetz out on the right and Assan Cisse up front. Torino played their 3-4-2-1 formation with Vanya and goal and the backline of Gvarilon, Schurz and Buongiorno. They had Sango out on the right and Ricardo Rodriguez out on the left once again with Linetti and Illich in the midfield. They had Miranchuk out on the right, Radonjic out on the left and Sanabria up front. So in the 19th minute, Sango opened the scoring. A nicely worked set-piece routine meant that Miranchuk had acres of space to deliver a perfect cross from a central area, which made its way past the Lecce defence and slotted him by Sango on the half volley. Just four minutes later, Sanabria made it too. It was Radonjic who did all of the work. However, he turned into a footballer again as he carried the ball forward on the wing from his own half flooring Baschirotto in the process before squaring it to Sanabria from the byline who slotted it in to make it 2-0 brilliant work by Radonjic redemption song just after the 30 minute mark an edgy scrap took place on the touchline between the players and staff of the two clubs leading referee Juan Lucas Sacchi to show red cards to coaching staff from both clubs 
and a number of bookings and that was probably the most exciting part <laughs> of this game. Lecce did seem to settle into the game a little bit more towards the end. Um, in fact, they ended up having 13 goal attempts, most of those coming in the second half. Um, but yeah, Torino, to be honest, quite a comfortable victory for them. Um, good reaction by Radonjic. I know he wasn't yes. criticised for his ability to dribble or his ability to attack, but rather his football brain and his defensive abilities. But still, nonetheless, very good to see him capable of doing that. He ran to the byline. Exactly. Rafa. That, there you go. There you go. I'm like, which Rafa are you talking to right now? But yeah, it makes, it makes perfect sense. I mean, it's so effective, right? When you've got that blistering pace and you look at Radonjic, for example, physically and all that, he's, he's nothing compared to Leo. But, you know, he ran to the byline, he knocked it past his man and, and he absolutely destroyed them. And what, what redemption for him? And I'm sure Juric is ecstatic from yeah. that reaction. Yeah, he would be. He would be. Lecce, for a team that scores so many set pieces, so many set pieces, you know, they score set pieces, mm-hmm. um, they really can't defend them. In fact, they're the team in the league that have conceded most wow. from set pieces. Wow. And you look at uh, Umtiti, Baskerotto, you think that that won't be the case. Yeah. But maybe it's the way they're set up. Yeah, sometimes that happens. Yeah, I think so. They have taken a bit of a, a dip here, Lecce. They have, and they might be in trouble, bro. Because they're on 27 points. Um, I don't know if they're, you know, you don't need to panic yet, but but if Veron actually do go on a run and this form continues for Lecce, then they might be in trouble, yes. Yeah, look, you start dropping points and you're in trouble when you're mid-table. Yeah. Um, everyone steps it up in the second <laughs> half of the season, typically. Um, Lecce and Empoli are on 27 and 28 points. Uh-huh. They are... Eight and nine points from from the drop. That is not safe. And they've both lost three in a row. Exactly. So so yeah, we'll we'll see what happens there. And then you look at, for example, the likes of Spezia, who've seemed to pick it up a bit with two two draws and the victory in the last game. Salernitana also two draws and the victory. Um, Verona have slumped a little bit now. They're they're drawing. They were on a, on a good run. Yeah, they, they haven't won in four games now. They've, they've got an injury crisis yeah. in their hands, Verona. Um, they they were on such a good run of form and they just got smacked by that. I think they will be back though. Yeah, Cremonese have won one game all season. Sampdoria have won two games all season. So those guys might be down and out unless a miracle happens. So it's yeah. it's simply Verona, Spezia, Salernitana, Lecce, Empoli. Who's going down? Looks to be Verona right now, but you never know in football. The tide can shift so quickly. Yeah. Let's see. I said Verona will be back. One thing I want to say is that they are running out of time, so they do need to be careful and they do need to pick it up soon. They need to be careful. You know, they've got a bunch of injuries, but yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll see what they can do. We're still yet to discuss them in this match today. Um, Torino had a good game. However, a good first half. They seem to chill out and, and step back a bit mm-hmm. in the second half, which was probably the smart thing to do. Sure, Lecce looked like, you know, maybe they were going to do something. They grew into the game, but they weren't because Torino are an absolute unit defensively. I'll tell you what, Ricardo Rodriguez is putting in good performances on the left-hand side. Um, he's a defensive left winger. Sorry, left wing back. And when you have Radonjic playing on the left wing, he strays so wide this is why Leao Hernandez doesn't exactly work in a 3-4-3 or a 3-4-2-1 because you've got two offensive ones. So um, Leao needs to come more central in order to allow 
Theo to run out to the byline and to make those overlap runs. Over here, what you see with the balance of Radonjic and Rodriguez is Rodriguez is a left wing back, but he stays back more. You hardly ever see him pass the halfway line. Yeah. And then Radonjic strays very wide, which is then when Illich comes in to support and Mirancho comes in to support and Sanabria comes in to support. So the balance that they have over there works really well for them with, with Ricardo Rodriguez as a left wing back not, obviously not to mention Singo on the other side sorry to interrupt you but Singo on the other side is the complete opposite of Ricardo Rodriguez so it offers the team some balance over there exactly and then in fact on that side you see Sango at attacking and attacking and then you see Marancho coming in central yeah. That's, that, that is a very well balanced system that they have going on and the way that they defend as a team and attack as a team is something that every single team in the league apart from Napoli should look at and learn something from yeah. because they are fantastic they're a fantastic team at the moment or, yeah. you know. this was an expert display huh? <clears throat> getting two goals in 23 minutes and then just defending and not conceding is great huh? absolutely um, that fight was extremely entertaining bro um, who do yeah. you think would win Vania or Baskerotto? Oh, good question, bro. Yeah. Okay. I think if it's striking, if it's striking, Vanya wins because he's got the reach. Yes. And yes, I yes. feel like he can head kick. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he can fucking head kick. Um, but Baskerotto will have the capability of taking it to the ground. Yeah. Um, he's still big, but he's a smaller guy with a better center of gravity. And I think if he pins him down, Vanya might have a hard time getting up. There we go. But his long limbs and his expertise in jiu-jitsu, I don't know, I'm just fucking talking yeah. here. <laughs> but I think his long limbs can allow him to do something, yeah. even when he's on his back or something. Yeah, so if Baskarata takes it to the ground, it's his. If not, Milinkovic has the reach advantage. Exactly. So, <laughs> we'll <laughs> to be honest. We'll see. It's true. To be honest. Oh, but one Baskarata punch and he's out, huh? Oh, bro, you know how you can't let get him, him do. He could get him with a body shot to the liver, man. Ooh. Yeah, I feel like it have a good upper. People vomit yeah. right instantly when, when they get struck in the it's liver happened. or something. Yeah, it's happened. But yeah. yes, that 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 is my favorite analysis we <laughs> we we've ever done. I think um, I was gonna say something else about Torino. I feel, but it's probably not that important if I can't remember it. Eh? Yeah, I mean, it's probably you're probably gonna regret not remembering it. But let's be real. So what? You can mention it next week. Yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> I mean, Torino now sit in eighth place. Like you said, they're on the goal difference of zero. They're on 37 points, just one behind their local rivals in Juve. Lecce, on the other hand, in 15th place on 27 points. And we can now start saying eight points from the drop. Yes, sir. The next game we're going to be discussing, is this the last one? Or is it the penultimate? Penultimate. The penultimate game we're going to be covering is Empoli nil Udinese 1. The previous fixture was a 1-1 draw. Um, the previous five say uh, meetings between Empoli and Udinese averaged 3.8 goals per game. So these are typically high-scoring affairs. So this was a, a rare one over here. Christ on the Empoli bike. had won three of their previous home matches against Udinese. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Empoli actually had the upper hand historically. Now, Empoli lined up with their 4-3-1-2 formation with Perizan in goal. This was the week of weird goalkeepers. Hey. Right? Like, <laughs> where is everyone? Perizan. Perizan. Turk. <laughs> Sirigu. <laughs> you know, it's oh. like all the second goalkeepers feature. Yeah. Handanovic. 
So Parisi was out on the left, Stojanovic out on the right, with Luperto and Ismaili as a centre-back duo, with Bandin, Elimar and Akpa Akpro as the midfield three. Akpa Akpro, ever impressive, by the way. Yes, man. Baldanzi was sat in the pocket with Satriano and Caputo up front. Silvestri was in goal for Udinese in their 3-5-2 formation with Rodrigo, Bacao, Biol and Perez at the back. Ezebui on the right, fuck that guy's name. <laughs> Udogji on the left, Lovrich, Wallace and Pereira were in the middle with Beto and Success up front. Now, the first half was just a series of me going go! Because... <laughs> Because both teams got so close to scoring, particularly Bacao and Caputo. So it was like every, every time it's like, <laughs> I, I hate it when you do that because you jinx everything, man. I say it a bit early. It's like, no, like it's a cross, you know what I mean? Goal! <laughs> I love it. Fuck you. I love that. I also do it to like get your attention. <laughs> so the goal came in the 54th minute when Sandy Lovrich Gave a corner and Rodrigo Becao headed it in. How many headers has Becao scored, man? He's such a beast in the air. Um, and that was enough for Udinese. As their goal in the 54th minute basically is what they held on to. You look at what they did in the 77th minute, and this is cheeky. Yeah? Mm. Between the 77th minute and the 87th minute, Udinese um, made four substitutions, right? The first, mm. one, the first one in the 77th, okay. Second one in the 81st. Third one in the 86th, fourth one in the 87th, right? They're just killing yeah. the tempo. They're killing Empoli's momentum. They're just killing off the game, hanging on to that 1-0 victory in the cheapest, most blatant way possible. And they, they took home all three points. They absolutely needed a victory over here. They, they've been struggling recently. Empoli are not on a great run of form at all. They got that 1-0 lead. You know, Sotil does what he has to do. He does yeah. what he has to do. And, and that to me is, sure, it's cheap, but it's low-key, a bit genius as well. It is, no? yeah, it's intelligent. I mean, you look at, you need to win, you need the three points. And Udinese have been criticized recently for not getting the job done and for relying on their um, great form at the beginning of the season. So this is this is what you need yeah. to do to get them back to yeah. winning ways. Um, that Caputo miss will come back to haunt Empoli as that was a massive miss with an empty yeah. net. Um, Beto had a lovely bicycle kick at one point. Yes, um, he did. Yes, he did. That's better than Giroud's. Better than Giroud's, yeah. Um, for me, it was literally just between these substitutions that Udinese were making. You see Baldanzi driving and trying to create something. He was the, the driving force for Empoli over here, but it wasn't enough, unfortunately, um, for them. Yeah, uh, I think uh, Baldanzi, um, Marin and Akprak Pro are the ones that really, um, whilst Empoli have been going through this rut, they've been the ones that have been standing out for yes, me I agree. the most. Those three... Um, would be interesting to see where they'll be next season, particularly Baldanzi and Marin, because I know Akprakpro just took the step down. Yes, um, from Lazio. Yeah, exactly. And, and Marin and Baldanzi are probably looking to step up again. Obviously, mm -hmm. Marin relegated with Cagliari, moves to Empoli. Um, he's still only just 26 years old. Um, Baldanzi is 19 years old yes. so bright future ahead for him and Marin Marin could be he could be good in a team that plays with a three in the midfield even if he's on rotation like for example him at Lazio yeah, at C Marin at Lazio for example yes in, in that um, Cataldi role right exactly the, the Lucas exactly, role exactly. 
True, bro. Very true. Um, if you look at the table right now, of course, we've just discussed Empoli are in 14th with 28 points. And Udinese's first victory in seven games means that they are in 10th with 35 goals. 35 points. <laughs> well, they do have 34 goals. Oh, Close enough. Jesus. Yeah, Old enough to party. You know, they're, they're plus four and their goal difference. That's funny considering how they've been recently. It's just that... That, that it's that, that's the inter game literally yeah, that plus four is the inter game at the beginning of the season literally. that's so funny oh look at them there he is bully <laughs> you guys will never know what we just spoke about so the next and final game we're going to be covering is Verona 1 Monza 1 the previous encounter was a 2-0 victory for Monza Hellas were still stuck in the bottom three after the goalless draw with Spezia and went into this game without Kevin Lasagna, terrible, um, <laughs> Isaac Hien, Miguel Veloso, Aiden Hrustic, Milan Juric, Sulemana, Ceccherini, Tomas Henry, and January signing Cyril Ngonj. So Verona, very, very compromised at the moment. Cyril Ngonj! Like there was a bit of a gap, but I that's know, bro. fine. I need to be smoother it. with the soundboard. <laughs> yeah, we could literally hear you <laughs> tapping. Probably the NS1 will remove that now. Shout out to NS1 if you want to deplete your background noise. Certo. <laughs> Monza weren't faring much better, missing Danny Mota, Nicolo Rovella, and Marlon. However, thank God, Ranocchia was back in the squad. <laughs> For Verona, it was a 3-4-1 formation with Montipo back in goal on the back line of Coppola, Magnani and Davidovic, who's back after surprised he didn't tear his ACL, trying to catch up to all those wingers hey, over the past guy. couple of match days. Um, Lazovic was back to playing as a left wing back and Faroni was the right wing back with Duda and Tamez in the middle. Verdi played as the left winger, Kalon as the right winger and Gaich up front. For Monza, it was also a 3-4-2-1 formation with Di Gregorio on goal and the backline of Itzomari and Caldirola. Birindelli was out on the right with Carlos Augusto out on the left on the double pivot of Pessina and Sensi. I love those two together, yeah. man. I really, really like those two. Um, Churi as the right winger, Caprari as the left winger and Petania up front. I don't know why, bro. Pessina and Sensi just give me... Gavi Pedri vibes, you know what I yeah, mean? They're budget. Just, very, very, <laughs> very budget. budget. Like, they're, they're worlds apart, but they just give me that vibe. Like, bro, on the same week that Milan didn't feel the single Italian player in their starting lineup, here you have Berlusconi's team. And I think, am I right in saying 10 of these guys are Italian? Di Gregorio, yes, it's so, yes. Mari is not Italian. Mari is not Spanish, Italian. Augusto's not Italian. Ah, yes, you're right. Churia, Italian. Churia must yes, be Italian. Yes, he must be with that fucking name. Pablo Mari, Spanish. And Augusto's Brazilian, no? Yes. So, wow, nine. Well done, huh? That's, um, I'm, I'm not surprised with this whole Forza Italia party back in the day, prioritizing yeah. <laughs> Italy for the Italians. So, <laughs> you see that in his, in his Monza team now. Yeah. In the 51st minute, so... Before we go to the 51st minute, Monza seemed to be the better team in this game. But mm. Verona, a compromised Verona, a lot of compromised teams at the moment. Yes. I, I felt myself saying the word in compromised fact, I think a lot. in 68 or 69 episodes, I've never heard you say the word compromised. I think I, I heard it. I like it. I think I, I, I've been reading, guys. <laughs> I've been learning words 
so this podcast is just going to a whole different level can you, can you start now subtly including a really like weird or obscure word every episode say it like three times if i pick up on it absolutely bro. yes let's do that i will i will so verona were doing well to hang on but monza you know how they are they're dangerous they're poking and prodding however then the 51st prodding yeah <laughs> <laughs> however then the 51st it was verona who took the lead somewhat against the run of play it was due the strike that was charged down and it ricocheted into the path of simone verdi who blasted it into the roof of the net from 12 yards Adolfo Geich should have made it 2-0 only to scuff the finish into the arms of Di Gregorio and that proved costly as Monza equalized moments later. It was a good passing move right to left as Carlos Augusto pulled back from the byline for Stefano Sensi to tap in from 6 yards. Caprari had the ball in the net to put Monza 2-1 up on the hour mark, but it was disallowed as Petania was offside by millimetres in the build-up. Caprari had refused to celebrate against his former club, which is... Always nice to see. Yeah. So, Monza were the better team. Um, however, Verona had prevailed. Yes. Good word, no? It is a good word. Thank you. <laughs> um, but Verona had prevailed. Um, they got that one goal. They'll be very, very disappointed to have conceded so shortly after open, opening the scoring, man. Yes, um, and that's literally a lapse in concentration. There's nothing else to explain it. You know, they must have got excited. You know, Simone Verdi, action man himself, as I like to call him, because he always looks like he's on a mission. He gives me Tom Cruise vibes. Simone <laughs> it's true, he's you Tom know, Cruise as fuck, bro. Yeah, he's always fucking, you know, he's got that hairstyle, that extremely serious look. He's kind of short. Mm. He's always fucking running as fast as he can, always. Like, if you. If you <laughs> He'll score a goal and just keep running, like you know, and then he'll knee slide epically. He's to the danger zone. <laughs> I'll never forget that game. Scored a free kick with his left hand with his oh, right. With Bologna, man. He'll forever be remembered for like I I I love a good Italian journeyman. Yeah. He's a journeyman. Destro's a journeyman. Um Pazzini was a Pazzini, journeyman back in the day. It's a great fucking Caprari's a Mauri was yeah. a fucking journeyman and a half. Oh, there's there are so, so many. We should make a starting eleven of journeymen, bro. Ooh, that would be fun. That's a cool one. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll what do it. defines a journeyman? How many clubs does he need to be at? Shall we say like five? Yeah, five Italian clubs. Five Italian I would clubs. Say. Five Italian mm. top. That's fun. Top we'll, twenty we'll later, clubs in Serie A, Serie A teams. Um, Matri. Matri could be there. Another well. journeyman. Boriello is a journeyman. Boriello is a journeyman. Wow, striking options are crazy. Jesus. Literally, literally. We'll do it. We'll do it. That's exciting. Yeah. Verona are currently in the most important part of their season, right? They were previously decreasing that gap with Spezia between 18th and 17th. And it looked like they were going to make serious moves over there. However, they've now been incredibly compromised with injuries and they are playing the most important part of their season battered with injuries, battered. They'll be glad to have players like Lazovic still in the team, um, Tamez, but otherwise, man, Jesus Christ, you're looking around and there's none of their familiar faces. Yeah, and you look at the fact that they've had to force Lazovic out wide again simply because of injuries, and he's been the best their heart threat. and soul when him, it comes to him the and Ngonj. So, mm. 
before they had um the two wingers in, in Lazovic and in Gonj and they had whoever, I think Gaich was playing anyway up yeah. front. And now Ngonj is injured. Um Lazovic has been shifted to a left wing back role. Simone Verdi came in and Yaya Kalon came in and, and they're decent players. Um, Yaya Kalon is very quick, but I don't think he has much more than that. Yeah. <laughs> very active. He's always in good positions, but his final touch is just off. Um, and Verdi is Verdi. Verdi yeah. is a vibe, but he's inconsistent. Exactly. And I think as well, Lazovic playing out wide has something to do with Doig's dip in form. He's dipped mm, slightly, he Doig. A- yes, he, he was he was on a really good run of form. It's a shame to see. But mm. I think I think he'll be back. There's there's still some time left. Yeah. Um Verona plays Sampdoria next, which is what's gonna be a, a very important game mm. for them. If they can't get three points over there, then they're in serious trouble. Yes. And I think with the form that well, not the form Sampdoria are on, but with how hungry Sampdoria are, uh, they just put two again. They just put two past Juve. It's not going to be an easy game at all. Yeah. Relegation dogfight. Um, apparently, Hien is still going to be out, and Ngonj is still going to be out. And it, it's interesting because Ngonj had a sprained ankle, Oof. and he's still out. That's crazy. It was against Spezia that he got the sprained ankle. Not yeah. this match day, the one before. He must have sprained the fuck out of. He must have sprained the living shit out of. So they're going to have Henri and Juric back? I don't know. Okay. Because um, Gaich is a decent solution, but he's still quite young, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and he doesn't ha- quite have that killer instinct. No, he's not clinical. Yet. Not yet, but you can tell that there are there are glimpses, right? The guy. Tree. Yeah. Um, Adolfo, by the way, nice name. I don't know why it's out of fashion. Um, <laughs> but yes, he's 24 years old. He's asserting himself into the league. We've seen him before, of course, at Benevento. Um, so it's nice to see him there again. He just needs to, that killer instinct, you know, he needs to, yeah. to develop that. I mean, experience, 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 experience. That's the only thing that's going to yeah. get him there. But I think point. with with Thomas Henry up front or, or Juric, quite frankly, you know, Juric, I believe, has... Um, the most aerial duels won, and then I mean, he's 6'6, six, six, yeah, bro. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, him, him and Kim Jamin, I believe, were the, mm. the two with the most aerial duels won. And dude, you pop that guy up front, and you've got Lazovic, you've got Verdi, sure, you have um, Doig, hopefully, mm. out on the left available. Um, you can actually service him a bit, and why not? Yeah, yeah, I mean. I think at this point, um, who, who in in your ideal world, out of these three strikers, in Gaich, Juric, and Henri, who would you start for Verona? Juric, Juric. Yes, yes. I'd, I'd say the same. I think Henri um, has the highest ceiling. Mm. Well, yes, Henri is the most decorated of exactly. The I think Henri is good. He just has serious attitude problems. Yeah, um, but I think Juric, man. I think I, I think I'd start Juric. I as love well. me a good target man. Yeah, same man. Um, shift the focus to Monza a bit. Let's go. Spoken plenty about Verona. Um, Monza's form is very interesting. I'm just going to go through their last eight games. So they drew 1 1 to Sassuolo. Then they beat, Mon- then they beat Juve 2 0. And then they drew 2 2 to Sampdoria. And then they beat Bologna away 1 0. And then they lost to Milan 1 0. And then they lost 3 0 to Salernitana. And then they beat Empoli 2 1. Then they drew 1 1 to Verona. So it's like. Guys, are we winning? Are we losing? What are we doing here? <laughs> you know what I mean? They're sur- they're surviving and they're they're trying to push for that mid-table finish. Because imagine this team was built 
after being promoted they just got promoted and suddenly yeah. they, they have this this kind of like um cult hero all-star team you yeah. know what i mean where they picked different pieces from from random say uh, mm-hmm. teams and built together this this really lovely unit mm-hmm. can you imagine if they finish 10th for example the pull power they'll have i think they, they can. can they can say you know we've got a project now we're aiming to hit europe you know we're aiming yeah. for europe come come join us we're, yeah you know, we, we've done it before. Berlusconi and Galliani have taken teams to the top before. Come join our project. We, mm. can, we can give you some money. Yeah, we've got a bit. Yeah. Um, so as long as they they survive, I think next year they just improve drastically. For sure. I think they're here to stay. Mons, yeah. I think they've, they've done a great job um, in their decision making and, and adapting to how their season went. They started off terribly, yeah. um, obviously with all the new players together. Um, they showed faith in their manager and their caretaker manager and that, that proved to be um, key for them. Aside from that, they've, they've really done a good job when it comes to getting their players to gel together, and they 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 are they're not getting relegated. No, definitely and not. next season they're just going to be better and better, man. And, and I'm excited. Monza is a is a lovely city, as well. Um, a lot of people would be attracted to it. It has a sport culture. Monza mm-hmm. being obviously, as I mentioned before, one of the most famous F1 tracks in history. Yeah. It's the the fastest track alongside Silverstone, if I'm not mistaken. What makes a track fast? Um, so a lot of straights. So there aren't many tight corners, and when there are corners, a lot of them are are, are long curves okay. rather than tight. Was Monza the one that you can't really overtake? No, that's Monaco. Okay. Monaco okay. and Azerbaijan are very difficult to, to overtake in. Okay. But yeah, there, there you go. We're talking about so many sports. There this, we go, bro. Day. But so not we spoke about UFC, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and now F1. Next, Good. snooker. Let's go. Not much to add, guys. Monza sit in 12th on 33 points, level on points with Sassuolo, whilst Verona in 18th, highway to the danger zone on 19 points, 5 points from safety. And Spezia do not like they do not look like they're gonna give up points for fun over here. Definitely not. And they'll be inspired after this victory. Yeah. And with that madman up front. Hey man. That's something that those other guys don't have, huh? Absolutely. And yeah. and Semplici is doing a fantastic job getting the getting just just fucking telling his players to lay their balls out on the table. And that's what he's got them doing, man. They're playing with their balls out. And that's it. And that's it. And when your balls are out, you scare the opponent. Exactly. When your balls are out, you play, baby. That's it. That is it. And that's it. So thank you very much, guys. We've been Serial Spotlight. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Don't forget the, the, the weirdest ending the weirdest we've ever had. Outro ever. By a landslide. Finished in good time. It's 11.30. Nice. Put together the post, all that. Look a dip. Yeah, and then relax go to a bed. bit. Yeah. Relax. So remember to follow us guys at Say Us Spotlight on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, um, everywhere. Drop us a rating. Um, I've been putting polls under the Spotify episode. Um, I'm a bit of a boomer, so my terminology might not be there. Um, <laughs> but you can go and you can you can vote. You can leave us a little comment. You know, yeah. uh, we'll pose yeah. it. So we we have um, so there there is Serie A this weekend. Um, of course, this is. <laughs> Thanks. Um, obviously, there is Serie A this weekend. Um, there's the Derby della Capitale. There are, there are a bunch of big games, and we're obviously going to be thrilled to be bringing you that episode. Um, after that, we are looking to do some specials for the 
international break. Um, but I am afraid, guys, me and Jake recording together is about to get a little bit more complicated because between the 27th of March to the 27th of April, I'm off to Australia um, to visit some family over there. And obviously with the time zone difference and all of that, it's going to be difficult for me and Jake to facilitate recording together. We are going to try find a workaround um, for it. I'm going to be working while I'm in Australia, so it's going to get even more complicated, but we'll find a way. And if I'm not yeah. there, it'll be Luke Mintoff. If Luke Mintoff isn't there, it'll be Santi. So we're still going to be bringing you guys good content um and you'll still be hearing from me yes for sure. i might even go solo guys and bless you with an episode myself please don't do that <laughs> <laughs> i tried that once man oh my god it was awful it's it's tough so i tried no it once one. as well when you were vomiting into a yeah. bucket man it was tough <laughs> there is no one there to fill in the blanks bro the gaps you make a joke and you just have to go in again see you... that, that is why lautaro martinez needs someone next to him because yeah. they fill in the gaps exactly there we go there we go i'm big rock and you Lautaro exactly to be honest that's a that's good it's not a stretch yeah thank you very much guys for listening we've been Seria Spotlight we love you all and have a great weekend con la palla sembra che danza tutto lo stadio si alza i difensori fai venire pure l'ansia prende punte e poi risalta tutti quanti se li mangia sotto il set e lui la palla te la piazza Salerno incanta è il 29 sulla maglia e Bulaie via e qua è il bomber di Granata che se lo incontri sicuramente non ti lascia per i ricordi e Bulaie via e qua è il bomber di Granata che se lo incontri sicuramente non ti lascia per i ricordi e Bulaie via e qua è il bomber di Granata che se lo incontri sicuramente non ti lascia per i ricordi